getting in this class and being able to talk to people about like my mental health and being able to just get out of my mind like my mind space and just forget about the world and forget about all the craziness has just helped me so much. Howdy friends and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. And on this week's episode, we are going to be talking about mental health and the outdoors. It's a topic that is very personal to me. It's important to me. And it was the focus of this year's adventure media class that I just got back from. Many of y'all will be familiar with the adventure media course taught by Jared Foster and Justin Keene over at Texas Tech University. Uh, this was my third year to go on a trip with the students. And then it's the fourth uh, episode we've done because we did an episode during uh, the pandemic in 2020. Um, and obviously there was no trip for me to go on. Uh, but you are probably very familiar with Adventure Media. This year, the course is tasked with the assignment of being present with their own mental health as they take on this challenge. And the challenge this year was riding 100 miles in the Lincoln National Forest right outside of Ruidoso, New Mexico. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about the trip, and we are going to be talking a lot about mental health and how it pertains to the outdoors and how the outdoors and cycling can be a tool in our lives to help uh, manage our mental health. This episode is a little bit uh, a little bit different than ones that we typically do, uh, but different is good. Embrace new things, people, and I hope that uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. And I hope that you get value out of this episode. But before we get to it. Let's take a moment to thank everybody who made this episode possible. As you know, gas prices are insane. Inflation is insane in the membrane. And uh, Bikes for Death is definitely feeling the pinch. I know probably a lot of y'all feel the pinch as well. So we appreciate very much everybody who can help make these episodes possible. Uh, starting with our latest batch of patrons that have signed up since the last episode. Let's show our appreciation for... Kurt Pitts, Eddie O'Day, Martin Saar, and David Leibel. Thank you all for signing up to be sustaining members of this podcast. If you appreciate these episodes and you're in a position to kick in a few dollars every month to uh, help make them happen, you can find out more and show your support over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. All right, everybody. Today, back on the podcast is Christy from Kuat Racks. Welcome back, Christy. Well, hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. I am getting ready for spring. And now that spring is springing, I know that y'all carry a lot more products than just bike racks. And, you know, a lot of us are just outdoors people that love to go outside. So I thought it might be a good idea to talk about some of the other products that y'all have that, you know, some of, some of my listening audience might be interested in, in learning about. Definitely. Well, um, some of your audience may be aware that we do have two kayak rack products. We have the class two, which is the traditional J style kayak rack. And we are reintroducing our class four kayak rack. And that is um, a kayak rack that actually folds down. So it's a little more aerodynamic on top of your 
roof whenever you're not transporting your boat. So it's a great little uh, rack that's hitting the market this spring. And we would definitely love for some of your cyclist audience to cross over and get into some of those water sports and take a look at it. Yeah, I got introduced to uh, river sports actually during the pandemic, and I found getting out on the water is one of the best ways to socially distance. If you really want to get <laughs> away from people, get out on the water and you're really going to be be out there. And uh, especially in Texas, where there's so much private land. So if people wanted to learn more about those racks that you'll have available, where can they go learn more? Definitely hit up our website at kuat, K-U-A-T dot com. You can check out the class two and the class four on our website. You can also buy those racks directly off of our website, as well as a lot of online retailers as well. And you can check out some of our other products on there. I know it's not really ski and snow time, but we also make a great ski and snowboarding, two different racks for ski and snowboarding. And um, obviously we have a lot of bike products on our website too. So hit us up and uh, take a look at some of our other products. Yeah, we're all about crossover. Go out there, ride your damn bike, paddle your damn canoe, do it all. Have a have a great time, but protect your gear on the way to and from your adventure. You don't want your bike falling off or your kayak flying off your roof or anything like that. And so, I really like to emphasize people that uh, you know, we we spend a lot of money on our gear and we have nice bikes, we have nice kayaks, we have nice stuff and you really want to make sure it gets to and from the destination. You know, it's funny, uh, I tagged you on that Instagram story that I did. Well, it wasn't funny for the person, but I was driving <laughs> to uh, New Mexico to this recent bikepacking trip that I did and someone uh, lost their trek off the back of their vehicle. And um, yeah, yeah, I, I tagged you. I was like, I, I bet they wish they had a coup at. <laughs> definitely. We, we hate to see those kind of pictures, but uh, hopefully our products definitely help in the transporting of gear safely and securely so you can get to your adventure and obviously have all of your gear working great and looking great too. So that's right. Kuat, because you love your bike and your kayak. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for coming on today, Christy. Thanks, Patrick. Go ride your damn bike. I'm gonna. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> All right, everybody. Welcome back to the show, Jared Lindsmeyer. You've been uh, away taking care of a baby, so congrats on that, and uh, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, Patrick. It's been awesome having a newborn around the house. I'm excited to get him strapped into our Yep Mini as soon as he's big enough. He's about three months shy of being able to sit in that thing. So soon I'll have him out on the bike with me. Yeah, that's sick, man. I want to see some pictures whenever uh, y'all are out on it. You got it. <laughs> yeah, dude, for sure. Well, like I was on your website and I saw that y'all have organic coffee options now. Is that an, is that a new program? What am I missing here? Yeah, yeah. Organic is new. So it's new in terms of being certified and labeled as such. So I guess just like the quick backstory on that is we've always bought some coffee that is organic and some of it is certified, some of it's not. And basically, like previously, as a small coffee roasting company, it's kind of a big step to get your process certified and basically to commit to having it all certified throughout the whole chain. Some of it's paperwork, some of it's logistics around the roastery. We had to designate certain areas to be able to keep the organic coffee separate. 
And so, so there's that end, the kind of the back end. And then in terms of on the supply side is that there are more and more organic certified cooperatives that are producing batches of coffee that really align really well with what we're after from a roasting and sourcing standpoint. So these co-ops historically would put together like larger batches that were a little bit less regionally compelling or exciting. And now we're seeing a lot better separation throughout the whole chain. You know, another thing was like last year, I looked at our volume and we bought like 35% of our coffee that we were already roasting was actually certified organic until it came to us. And then we sold it as conventional. And then there's also this other part, which is these kind of smaller producers that are kind of caught in a gap where they're too small for them to really get certified on their end. The cost is too great. Or maybe they are certified generally by practice, but maybe they supplement with a small amount of like fertilizer at some point in their process. I guess, you know, I also value kind of learning from producers and hearing from them, you know, like, look, we're mostly organic, but we occasionally use some, you know, supplemental fertilizer and, or, you know, like I said, we do have some producers we work with that are just too small. So, you know, I didn't want to stop buying those coffees either, but now we do have this clear designation of these coffees are 100% certified organic. And that's one thing that's really interesting and unique probably about y'all as a coffee company is how familiar you are with where you're sourcing it from, the farms, the farmers themselves. And so you 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 have a very good understanding of, of what you're buying and then obviously like passing on to your customers. So it looks like you ha- currently have four uh, organic coffee options on your website. I'm going to put some in my cart right now and try some out. Try it. Yeah, I'm going to try it. I'll let you know. And any listeners uh, that want to put some in your shopping cart, remember to use the code Bikes for Death at checkout. Get you 15% off your first order or 20% off your first order of a subscription. Go to rubycoffeeroasters.com and put some in your coffee or in your cart today. Some coffee in your cart today. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) It needs some work. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us today for this special episode of the Bikes for Death podcast. After the trip, I was joined with Jared Foster and uh, we we discussed the trip. I, um, I got the full report from him. And uh, sandwiched in between uh, our conversation is the fireside, the quote unquote fireside chat chat that we had with the students about mental health and the outdoors on Tuesday night. Thanks for being here, and I hope you enjoy. Now let's have Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes or Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. Just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You let that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Podcast. 
Yeah, I mean, I went ahead and uh, we're we're gonna go ahead and just record mostly because I don't didn't want to miss anything. I know you wanted to talk about kind of uh, how to de or unidentify um, some of the participants, and um, we'll we'll cut out anything that that we need to. Um, did you want to go ahead and get into that now? And yeah, probably if, if if just because it's quick and you know I, uh, <clears throat> after that evening, you know, because there was some deep stuff obviously yeah. being shared and some sh- stuff that was being shared for the first time. Um, and, uh, so I, I, I asked, uh, especially two of the students who shared more of the, the most intense stuff. I asked him, I just wanted to make sure, Hey, you know, this is for a podcast and it's going to go out to more than just 15 people. Um, and, and, uh, they were both aware that, you know, we, we were recording and it was for your podcast, but at the same time, they, you know, I wanted to make sure since they mentioned family uh, and that they also identified by name that they were comfortable with that. And, and both of them suggested that they're comfortable with the story being shared, but not necessarily being identified. Um, and, and I think it's very respectful if we don't identify them. Um, and, and so one student suggested that, uh, perhaps it would be best to paraphrase. So in your words or in my words, the paraphrase what, what she had said, um, that may be best for, for both of them. Um, okay. um, maybe the easiest thing to do is just to simply not include their names, uh, at all when they identify themselves. So it, it's really, I, I think they're okay with their own voices being used, but it might also be more efficient if we were just paraphrasing their stories. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was very, you know, from my perspective, first of all, what we're talking about right now outlines how, how tough mental health stuff is and how, how difficult it really is to talk about this stuff. And, and not that it's taboo, but you know, we're involving family members and, uh, you know, very sensitive things that happen to us when we're growing up. And, you know, you're dealing with people in your class who are 18, 19, 20 years old and, and on their own for the first time and, and trying to learn how to be a person and and work through some of these things. And, um, you know, I think what, what we wanted to do was provide a forum for those students to feel comfortable and to be able to talk about mental health and be able to explore that. And, you know, I, I know that we did that. I know that we did that because of the types of stories that we got. And I know that we did that because students came up to me that night or the next morning and expressed their gratitude um, for being able to talk about that. And it's something that I know personally, mental health is hard because it's not something you see, it's inside. And, what I found the most value in is one of the biggest things is just talking to people. And I think that is what we saw is that they were like, Oh man, I, I don't know if it, it, it just feels good to, to share your experience and to have other people who can connect to that and, and be able to work through it. And, and I know for myself, like, a lot of times, I mean, even on the podcast, whether it's talking about bike stuff, you know, you're kind of working through ideas as you talk to them. And sometimes just that process, you know, allows you to kind of work through it, you know, in a different way. So, um, yeah, I, I think we, 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 I, I'm, 
it's not that we're trying to uh, censor the content. Uh, you know, it's it's that we're just these are sensitive things and we need to protect you know, protect their families and their own personal stories and stuff like that. Right. Cause, cause you know, we, we don't know because they, they didn't get brought up. We don't know if they've even told their families this, these things. And so, um, you know, they're, they're in that, they're in a very uh, precarious transition period of their lives. And, um, and there's, there is a stigma still that they're very aware of. Um, and it's, it's hard to be, it's hard to be strong against that stigma, if, especially if you came just got out of a social environment where that stigma was very much a stigma. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Well, again, I I'm proud of uh, what you did with this particular class, and um, and and I'm 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 happy with you know our roundtable discussion. I'm gra- glad we were able to facilitate some things, and uh, you know we'll figure out how to kind of edit the podcast and and make it all work. Um, but you know, we may paraphrase something, we may remove some names and that's why. But I think, you know, the important thing here is that, you know, what we want to do is start giving people tools and some comfortability with, um, with mental health, be able to have those conversations, understand you're not alone. And, um, and, and the outdoors and cycling is, is really a great outlet that many people, um, use in their lives. You and I, uh, both have benefited greatly in that way. So, yeah, I think in that way, it's, it's a success, you know, and I hope we have more. I've, I actually posted some stuff on social media to my uh, patrons about this trip, kind of a, a sneak peek. And, I saw that, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, I mean, of course, I, I've seen a lot of, uh, I've got received a lot of comments of, I'm so glad, you know, you're talking about mental health. And, you know, I told you that uh, mental health has been a, a huge part of my life. It's dictated uh, an extreme, and I kind of get into my story in, in the episode, but that's why you know, whenever you were doing this class, I was like, okay, I can only be there for two days, two days in the morning, but you know, I'm going to drive 11, 12 hours, whatever it was, because it was that important for me to be there. I really wanted to be there. Yeah. I, I think the students recognize that, you know, especially you sharing your story and then them being aware of where you came from, where you physically drove from. Uh, that, was a, <laughs> that was a big deal. Yeah. It's a huge deal. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it really does matter to me and I'm so glad that I was able to be there. I think, um, you know, is this your third or fourth time on the podcast? If we counted last year's, this, I guess this would be my fourth. Yeah. yeah. For, fourth cameo for sure. Maybe not the fourth. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So um, I think most uh, most of the listeners will probably be familiar with you and adventure media probably to some extent. But, you know, I guess to kick this thing off, like real quick, what is adventure media for if someone hasn't hasn't heard about it before? Yeah. It, it, adventure media is, is a class at Texas Tech University uh, in the College of Media and Communication. And, and we typically describe the class as one that it could be of interest to students that are um, attracted to working with their, you know, with using their professional skill set in the outdoor and adventure travel media industry. I mean, it's it, uh, particularly during pandemic, it, it became a, a very hot thing to audiences, uh, but it's also a really um, attractive and, and somewhat romantic thing for professionals to get into. You and I are in it. You and I are in, in adventure media, um, you know, you with your podcast and the 
stuff that you both post and write uh, for different outlets, me with my photography and filmmaking and, you know, different uh, work with folks like bikepacking.com. We both, you just had a, a piece come out uh, in bikepacking.com, a partnership with miles. And, you know, I, I work with uh, uh, Lucas and Logan on the bikepacking journal and you know, work with different writers and stuff there too. So, you know, that, that work is really attractive to a lot of people, particularly the folks that I teach uh, at Texas tech university. And so, we created a class called Adventure Media that would allow students to understand not only the the industry a little bit better, but also give them a context in which it works. And we use bikepacking for that. We it's we almost use biking and, and bikepacking as the thing that they have to do in addition to creating narrative uh, and to be a storyteller. And so they they get a they get a really healthy taste of what it's like to be on assignment, making, you know, creating a photo essay or, or making a documentary film in, in most cases for, for the different versions of adventure media that we've taught. So, yeah. And you know, one of the reasons I've personally fallen in love with this course is because it's worth noting that, you know, the students that you're selecting usually between like 16 and 18 are, are not, you know, high level athletes, uh, or, or cyclists or outdoors people in general. I mean, you know, do you want to talk about that? I mean, you have first timers and, and everything, you know, for sure. Yeah. We we're not limiting, you know, anybody's participation in this based on their fitness or, or athletic ability. Uh, I would say that this year's group, maybe more so than, than most years in the past, uh, these are folks that probably were not involved in, any athletic endeavors, even in high school, you know, we, we definitely had, you know, one or two people that played sports, traditional, you know, stick and ball sports in, in high school, but a lot of them have, you know, just an interest in the outdoors. And, and even some of them don't even have that. We've had first time campers. Uh, you know, we had a couple of a few years ago, of course, when the first time you joined the class, uh, Trisha Nag, who, who we've mentioned on the podcast before, mm-hmm. it never been camping before ever. And it had barely learned how to ride a bicycle that same year, Cody Clark, 21 years old, never learned how to ride a bicycle. So, you know, we have students that, that range in abilities for sure, but definitely the, their ability to ride a bicycle or their fitness level, anything like that is not a precondition of acceptance. We, we want to build a, a, a class of good citizens, people that are committed to the mission of the topic at hand this year, it was, you know, creating a documentary about top two outdoor recreation and mental health and uh, people that can contribute to, to each other. And uh, this year we accepted a group and we always kind of, we always don't know quite how everybody's going to fit until we get them in the same room together. But this year, this group was so cohesive during the actual trip. I mean, they're a cohesive group anyways, but they, they, it really rang true uh, whenever we were out there on the ride because this year's trip was hard. I mean, it was, we, we've definitely had hard trips in the past. I mean, you and I are very familiar with Big Bend Ranch State Park and we know that there, there are uh, inherent risks and, you know, physical and mental strains and spending multiple days out, out on, in that environment. This year, uh, I think just based on the sheer scope of what we were doing, and because we had kind of sensitized them to being very aware of mental health while we were out, um, it was it, it was a strain. So them being con- cohesive and, and encouraging one another and very supportive of each other out there was a huge deal this year. Yeah. 
You know, just for listeners, I mean, I want you to picture, uh, you know, Jared, it's it's him, it's Justin, the other uh, professor that, that you run this group with, uh, this course with, and then it's like 16 students and I'm there, you know, taking pictures and shoving a microphone and, you know, this isn't a heavily self, uh, this isn't heavily supported. This is literally taking uh, first-time bikepackers um, on legit bikepacking routes. We did the uh, the Billy Billy the Kid and Smokey Bear uh, route or a little adapt- adaptation of that, but you know, a hundred miles and in, in very real rough terrain in the desert with very little water. And and not only are they doing that, but they're carrying all this camera equipment and they're uh, you know, the whole I mean that it, that's the thing. The course is that they have to produce something right. and 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 the bike and all that is is just the vehicle. And that's the fun part is like I think we make bikepacking so hard, but this course is a perfect example of just how capable anybody is and how accessible all of this stuff really is. You and I get to see it firsthand, and this class was no exception. I mean, challenging, challenging route. Uh, what I saw was was impressive, and, and we're going to have to get the wrap-up fr- from you uh, here in a minute. But I wanted to ask you, like, you know, every, every year, as we touched on, you know, there's a different assignment that they have to create and it's some type of media project. Why mental health in the outdoors this year? Why was that the the topic? Yeah, there's quite a bit of research that's becoming more popularly available now about outdoors and, and mental health. It's always been there and, and people have studied it for a long time, but, um, and there's some great books uh, out there and, and great articles and even some great documentaries that that uh, showcase uh, this relationship between the outdoors and, and mental health. But um, two, two kind of big things happened over the past year that uh, I guess inspired the, the trajectory of the course. One was that um, I, I sit on this, uh, I sit on uh, several committees at Texas Tech University and, and a couple of them referenced some research that says that at least 30% of university students deal with some form of mental health issue and seek resource for it. And so to me, having been around, you know, college students for a long time now in not only one university, but several universities, because I I visit and speak at different places too, that that's a pretty significant number. And that's at least 30% that are dealing with mental health issues and seeking resource for it. So this topic is is massively uh, important uh, for us to focus on, and uh, you know I think in my with my own experience, and then of course anecdotally by observing students in these kinds of courses, because I teach several other field courses, these kinds of programs can help uh, because we 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 position students in the outdoors. There's a lot of other things that go along with it, but at the same time that this research is is being kind of made a bit more prominent in higher education. I think it was outside magazine. It was a couple online articles talked about how um, type two outdoor recreation was tied to general happiness or had a positive correlation with general happiness. Yeah. And uh, you know, that's, I I think it was just like this, this watching those two things come together uh, over the past year, especially, you know, on the heels of, uh, I guess what we're now formally calling the pandemic. Um, <laughs> it's 
you know, it was, it was pretty, pretty uh, inspiring to think like, Hey, we, we should be able to tackle this topic in our own way uh, with, with the class, because the class always creates some type of documentary short film. And so we, we came up with this idea that the students can both or be both the producers and the subjects of their, of this documentary. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's where it came from. Yeah. I I love it, man. You know, I mean, I I appreciate that y'all made that the focus and took the initiative to do that because we, we don't see a lot of documentaries about mental health. It's more about the trip or the gear and and stuff. And, and I, I told you, man, I I've been, um, I've let myself down because it has been such a huge uh, part of my life. Um, you know, I, I feel like I should be more open and I should talk about it more. And especially we know that, you know, the pandemic had a, a massive effect, uh, impact in a lot of ways. And, and mental health was one of them. Uh, yeah. There's no doubt about it that um, domestic abuse, uh, suicides, depression, I mean, lot, serious, serious, you know, people are really struggling. And um, I, it's probably more important than ever that, that we start having these conversations. And, and like I said, you and I both have our own. I think that's probably the tie-in is like you were able to identify that because we both have our own experience with using the outdoors and understanding how type two fun it's like, you know, how can this bring me happiness? Well, it does because it puts life in perspective and you understand what, you know, what it is to really struggle and really not have anything. And it also lets you check out from the world a little bit and just be task at hand and kind of give yourself that, that, that emotional mental break every once in a while. So, you know, I don't think it's surprising to us um, that, that there's that correlation, but right. we should be more vocal about this being a tool. It's a really valid tool. And there's a lot of us 30 plus percent probably that that can really benefit, um, from it. So there was an article that was just published uh, on some research that came out of Colorado CU Boulder. So Colorado university in Boulder. And, you know, it, it was a survey of 1200 people in the Denver area that, that basically said everything that we already know, but needs to be stated, which is, the more you spent outside, especially in the the first few months of the pandemic, the better you were able to navigate some pretty significant mental health issues, anxiety, depression. It doesn't mean that you didn't experience those things, but it definitely meant that you were better equipped to, again, manage those issues. And, uh, you know, there you can read more about that art, you know, about that research in depth, but I, I saw I saw an article or I saw a comment on on that a post on that article that said basically like, well, this is just stating the obvious. It's <laughs> it's not to some people uh, because yeah. some people can't access the outdoors and some people don't know what access in the outdoors for them actually looks like. And you know, and that research all always needs to perpetuate. Uh, we we get in this cycle as as academics. Now I don't do a whole lot of academic research, uh, but researchers do tend to get into a cycle of once they publish something, they don't necessarily go back and revisit that research again because it's, it's backwards. It, 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 it doesn't, doesn't compute for their progression forward. And this kind of research talks about mental health, our access to the outdoors, maybe being active outdoors. That stuff needs to come out all the time. Like we need to revisit that every couple of years because stuff's changing. You know, as, as the things that impact our mental health change, 
So does our ability to find ways to, to manage our, our mental health so that their research is, needs to be perpetual. Well, like I said to you um, before this class, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to uh, to to make sure that that we keep talking about mental health and uh, and I'm I'm kind of admonishing myself for not uh, doing a better job of it previously. But uh, hey, you know yeah. we we can yeah. all do better. Yeah, well, and it gets brought up in different ways. You don't have to always be like, "Here's the mental health hammer. This is what we're yeah. going to talk about." Right? It's it's hey, how this. How that how that trip make you feel, you know, yeah. uh, or or whatever. And we have had a, a good amount of mental health conversations on the podcast, and and it, because it is something that's important to me, I will ask about it. We will talk about it. But yeah, this was like the first time. I mean, it's a hundred. This will be episode like one hundred eight or one hundred nine, and we mm-hmm. haven't had like I'm going to title this one uh, "Mental Health in the Outdoors" or, or something. I mean, just you know, because I think that's really the main thing here, you know, is, um, is learning how to, again, use, uh, use the outdoors as a tool to, to deal with and manage, uh, mental health. And ultimately, I mean, that's the thing about mental health is that everybody's different. So you can't really say, you know, this, this, this is the formula. All you can say is, Hey, here's some experiences, here's some tools, here's some ideas. And, you know, and we need to, that's, that's the thing that's hard. You just got to work through it, man. Yeah. Yeah. And take inspiration. Yeah. It's, it's hard to, it's hard for people, I think, to take inspiration from other people's stories. The better able you are to maybe put yourselves in somebody's shoes, the more likely you are to see what we're talking about benefits you being outdoors, going on a bike ride or just going for a walk or, or whatever it may be. I think we in general have a hard time considering, you know, being that, I don't want to call it empathetic, but being able to place ourselves in somebody's, somebody else's shoes. Cause we live in a culture of I'm always right. And <laughs> you, you gotta, you gotta put that to the side, you know, when, when, when you're hearing these stories, especially these stories that, you know, we got into that night out on the trail. Yeah. It's so funny. You said in your shoes, I was having a conversation with a, a cycling friend off, off air, quote unquote off air. Uh, well, it was off air, but <laughs> I'm just using the official lingo. And and I, I told him because, I, you know, I it is hard to kind of be in the public because people think they know me really well and people know a side of me and, and some parts of me very well. But, you know, as anybody, uh, you know, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes and people certainly make assumptions and judgments and, and all kinds of stuff. And you know, people, that, that's what I told my friend. I was like, man, you know, we used to do this thing and we used to have this culture of whenever, you know, I remember growing up, it was co- common no- nomenclature to say, you know, walk a mile in a man's shoes before you judge him, you know, yeah. or something along those lines or walk a mile in his shoes, you know? And like, I don't think we do that very much anymore. You know, we make assumptions based on all sorts of factors and you make a decision and an accusation. And then, you know, you just feel, uh, you know, and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And, and yeah, so it's kind of a, a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I definitely like that resonates with me that we, we don't do that. And mental health is tough because like I said, um, on our round table, yeah, you don't, I think I said, I mean, you don't see it. It's just an inward thing that people can't, um, you know, they can't, they can't just see, oh, this person is having a pan attack right now. And, you know, they might look fine on the outside, but inside they're, 
you know, shitting their pants or whatever. So, right. And, 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 and it goes vice versa too, right? It, it's like, if you, if you see some, someone who is like emotionally very positive, uh, for example, we, we, we now live in a, a, a time where we're like, yeah, that can't be true. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's too good. We, we, you and I were talking about Ryan Venduzer earlier. And yes. I use some of his videos. Uh, I, I just, I would throw every week at email students of a bunch of stuff and, and, I'd always have a, a list of videos for them to look at, both for uh, technical inspiration, but also to kind of get get them give them some context on what they were doing. And part of what they were doing on this trip was to create vlogs of their physical and emotional experiences. And and so I sent them Ryan's stuff because Ryan does a really great job of formatting uh, and, and putting together these experiences. And Ryan is like, he's like super positive man, you know, when he's out there and, uh, I find it pretty infectious. I think a lot of people do, and I hope they do. Um, and then I think I, I read a comment, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but I think, I think this sums up Ryan Van Duzer very well. Um, it was a comment on his own YouTube channel, I believe. And somebody said, I usually find people with your level of optimism annoying, but for some reason, you come off very genuine. And yeah. I think that's because he is, I mean, I've met him. He's been on the podcast. I think that's just who he is. And yeah, yeah. It, but it's funny. I'm sure he gets shit for that. He's yeah. Like, there there was positive. a student who, who was just like, this guy's too good to be true. And I'm like, you know what? I, my initial, like my visceral reaction was like, yeah, he, this is a performance. And then the more I watched his stuff and I, I typically don't go there. Uh, cause yeah. I, I, I get, I get pigeonholed in that kind of overly positive personality too, especially when we're on the trail and the more I watched it, I'm like, man, I, I don't even care if this is too good to be true. This makes me feel good. Like yeah. I, I, it, it makes me feel, and, and I, you know, I believe he is genuinely like that. I, I didn't meet him at the New Mexico bikepacking summit, but, um, you did and had conversations with you and listened to the podcast with, with him and Matt Mason, um, the other day. And I was just like, this guy's real. And, but some of those students, their first thing is like, no, I I don't know. And and isn't that like a sad state that we're sitting there going like, this guy can't be that happy. Yeah. Well, you know, it is sad, but I think, uh, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I think, you know, that's the cool thing about podcasts is I'm actually, um, speaking of Ryan Van Duzer, I'm planning to go up to Colorado uh, Boulder this this summer and ride bikes and interview him and 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 get to know him better uh, but you know I I think that you know when you just sit down and talk to somebody for for a couple hours um, you know you get a really good sense for who they are because you know I'm not providing any questions beforehand he's not going to get a chance to can all his answers he's just yeah. going to have to talk from his heart you know and, and yeah. whatever's on his mind and uh, and and that's why I like podcasts because we do we do lose a lot of the essence of who people are whenever it's just polished and edited and, you know, all these things. And and that's mostly what we're consuming. But, it, you know, it is why I gravitated towards podcasts, because I am seeking more of a real tangible connection. And, and I like to get to know people, mm-hmm. not just, okay, 
it's cool. What what I really like is like I like to look at a picture that Jared Foster produced, and I'm like, or or a documentary or something. But then like get to know and understand what it took to actually make it, you know. And that's that's the secret sauce. It's like not everybody can create this because not everybody's willing to go through all these steps. But if we just look at it through the the prism of oh, everybody's producing great content, or everybody's always beautiful, and you know yeah. all you know all these things, it's like if that's all you're seeing, then you're getting a very skewed perspective. And it's actually what I talked about on the, um, at the class at the campfire chat where there wasn't a campfire, but I call it a campfire chat anyway. Uh, we could not not have a campfire. No, we definitely did not have a campfire. I should be very clear about that. Uh, but anyway, well, but you know, the best way to get to know somebody, uh, and, and because I've done this several times is, is to go on a big bike ride with them, like go on a multi-day bike ride, you know, Brandon Weaver, one of my best friends in, in all of this stuff, like he and I met and it was dark and we were about to go on a four day trip doing a story uh, together. And we woke up the next morning, we finally saw each other and then we're like, well, all right, let's go ride four days together. And we had never, we'd only talked on, talked on the phone once, you know, that's a great way to get to know somebody. Same thing with you. You know, when I met you in person, it was dark. And then, <laughs> then we rode Big Ben with the class for five days, and and so that's right. Know, we did meet in the dark at their uh, uh, River Road, I think. Yeah, that must that that's probably the secret. Meet meet in the dark, and then uh, <laughs> wake up the next morning and, and find out who you really are. <laughs> I don't know if you want to be telling your daughters to go meet. Yeah, yeah, people yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna provide some extra context there. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to kind of sandwich our little chat, uh, in, kind of in the middle of like storyboarding uh, the trip a little bit. Um, I mentioned where the route was, but I, I don't know. Do you want to give a little highlight reel of the first two days? What do you think? Sure. Well, what if I did this? So the you mentioned that we did the the Billy the Kid Smokey the Bear route in yeah. and it's based out of Ruidoso, New Mexico. That's pretty accessible for where we are in, in Texas. We're in just three and a half hours away. And Cass Gilbert d- designed the. I, I believe he's the one that designed the route uh, years ago. And and um, Colt Fetters updated it just uh, last year or so. And and the uh, the route itself is a hundred miles. And really could probably take, you know, somebody that's, that's on the bike regularly, a couple days, you know, three days, I think three days is the minimum you'd want to spend on it. Uh, we did it in five days, uh, because a, we're not taking seasoned cyclists out there and we have to have, we have to budget time for the students to, to produce the the media that they're, because that, that's their job uh, while they're out on the trail. And so the the first two days are uh, spent riding away from Ruidoso into kind of this juniper prairie kind of dense area um, up in the, the mountains around Glencoe, New Mexico. And that was that's the first day. And then the second day is into more more of a prairie environment that's uh, kind of between the Capitan Wilderness and Sierra Blanca, uh, which is the big mountain out here. And those two days, like the first day, is the one is the day that puts all of the training that we've provided the students or we've had them do um, uh, and all their expectations into some perspective that's really real. Uh, (laughs) You know, we, we left camp and what it was, it was like 11 miles almost downhill with a tailwind on pavement uh, out of town. And then all of a sudden you're slapped with a thousand foot climb uh, and it's uh, it's on 
not the roughest dirt roads, but it's on a gravel road and got some big rocks in it and stuff. And that sets the tone for really the rest of the trip. On bikepacking.com, the route is not rated hard. And, and you know, for a seasoned cyclist, it's, I think it's a, a solid five, you know? Yeah. I think the only other thing I would add there is, is it, the elevation is always the factor is that that route, I believe starts around 6,000 7, feet, feet, 7,000 7, feet. So yeah. You know, it's at decent elevation. That was my only personal question mark. And I actually was like, I was like, maybe I'm getting used to uh, riding at elevation a little bit. Cause I did, I mean, yes, I was a little winded, but not, not as much as in, in past or that I was expecting to be, but we were still up there. So, but other than that, I mean, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's not a uh, overly challenging. No, no, it's, it's, it's a, uh, like I said, it's a solid pod, which means that like you, you get to enjoy all of it with some nice challenging components to it and you know every every day that we had so if you did it in five days like we did every day's got a big climb in it and then the rest of the day i mean none of it's flat so the the rest of it is just kind of undulating with some punchy stuff here and there um and it goes and it spends most of its time in the lincoln national forest um, yeah. which is a, a really great resource uh, for out here so the weather was good you know the nights got cold but you know, but that's also something that you know, I'm, I'm glad you, so here's me being overly positive. I'm like, this route's really great. It's, you know, it's right here. And, but uh, yeah, the elevation is surprisingly up there. You know, it's, it's not Colorado trail elevation, but, uh, but it's still enough to gas anybody that comes, you know, from, from where you come from nearly sea level for sure. But where we, where we came from, it was still half the elevation than, than where we started. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the way you said it about day one and that first climb, I mean, that that's really a, a wake up call. And, and that's going to that really did set the tone uh, for me and for anyone else. It's like, OK, th this is this is where it gets real, you know, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and and yeah, it, it was there was definitely some hike a biking on uh, some of the climbing on 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 day one. How did you think that the class class performed overall on on day one? I mean, with the you, you've kind of seen them through this progression and probably had your own. You're like, okay, I'm going to watch this person maybe and maybe concerned yeah. here, you know, and and kind of you know, I mean, you just gotta that you're you're guiding these humans through the outdoors, so you got to be aware of this stuff. Uh, how do you think they did? Did you have any issues or, or anything? I think they did, especially on day one, I think they did pretty much how I expected them to, to do. Now, that's based on having, this is our sixth or seventh time to do this class this way. Um, so we kind of know what to look for and who to watch, you know, what type of person to watch out for and that kind of thing. Um, I've also ridden this thing three, uh, four times now. Uh, and so I kind of know what to expect uh, all the time or pr pretty much with the route all the training that we did leading up to the first day of this trip, including our shakedown overnighter that we do at Caprock uh, Canyon state park every year. Uh, yeah. Identified folks that we just need to keep our eye on, but every day, not just the first day, but every day there are moments and people that surprise us uh, in terms of, Hey, that person's on the bike when we didn't think they'd be on the bike. Uh, mm -hmm. That person's going faster than we thought they would or this person's lagging behind and we didn't expect that person to be lagging behind. So we need to go check in on this person. And uh, with, with this group, we, 
there, there, besides between myself and Justin Keene, uh, a couple of grad students that we had with us, Maddie Walker, who had been on the on previous uh, programs with us before, you and Brandon, we had a lot of people that were floating back and forth and just kind of checking in with people. That was really nice. Did you did you mention Condith? Oh, and Condith too. Yeah, you know, Condith, I want to give it so quiet on the trail, but he, yeah, that dude is super super valuable to this year's trip because shout out Condith. He, uh, yeah, he was a fan of the show and uh, he came up and gave me a compliment. And I don't take compliments well; I always get awkward. But uh, <laughs> anyway, shout out to I thought, Condith. I thought you handled it well. Yeah, Condith was uh, was our resident. Um, bike mechanic and uh emt he, he's formerly a paramedic yeah emt so he he was super i mean we we couldn't have we couldn't have had the the same experience we had without conneth being there and so yeah and and he's he's so good like he's almost a ghost that can float in between everybody and, and check on the folks so yeah he was very attentive uh to the needs of of people uh throughout the whole trip for sure well we had we had one student on the first day that's what i wanted to door. say yeah. yeah. So, so let's speaking of the first day, <laughs> it was on like the flat part of the day, you know, middle, middle of the day, flat part of dirt in the middle of the Lincoln. And he was, unfortunately it was, it, it kind of involved me. My, I, I, <laughs> I, strapped, I strapped a pair of camp pants down to my saddlebag. Now those Ovad Negra gear jammers have a strap that goes uh, vertically over the top. And so I was usually strap a, a pair of pants there and that road going down into where we were was so bumpy that the pants flew off. He didn't know who, whose they were. He, he was, he went back to go find his sunglasses that had bounced off and he found these pair of pants and he was like, Hey, I, you know, there's trail magic. You know, he found a pair of pants and uh, he was bringing them up to the group and he raised his hand, holding up the pants as, as if he's like, Hey, look what I found. Mm-hmm. And, his, and he, he basically spearheaded something in the trail turned his wheel 90 degrees and went over the bars and, uh, and ended up this partially dislocating his shoulder. Yeah. It was weird. I mean, because it was like in a lot of pain and then he like popped it and he's like, Oh, like immediately yeah. it was like, Oh, it's better. You it's know? Better. And then it popped out again and then he popped it in. So <laughs> we're like, you know, stop we, moving your arm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just, and, and he was one of those guys that, that always has to be moving. And so, um, but no, that, you know, that was Logan, right? Uh, do what? Uh, that no, was Logan. Was Archer. Uh, Archer, Archer. That's yeah. right. Archer. Yeah. Logan what, took a spill on day two. Logan. So Logan took a pretty big spill, not nearly as detrimental or, or ultimately what seemed detrimental, but he took a really big spill nearly on the, at the exact same location that three years prior, another student had taken a major spill and concussed herself out of rotting the rest of the route. This time, Logan spilled. He, he, I could hear him. I, I was on a corner telling people basically to take it easy coming down this hill. And he got about 100 yards ahead with a group of people. And I could, I heard the fall. And, yeah. and I heard somebody yell. And so I, I rode down to him. And he's just sitting there. Luckily, when he fell, he spun. Uh, and he got away from the bike pretty quick. And so uh, ended up just kind of giving him a little bit of road rash. But, I mean, we, we don't take him to – you know, the most risk-free areas at, at all. Yeah. Like they're, they're in, you know, the real stuff. And so, yeah, he, but he, he ultimately, he, he knocked the shell, like the plastic shell off of his helmet 
And so all you saw was styrofoam and he just, we just strapped that shell to his backpack and he rode the, the rest of the trip with that thing stuck. We were going to super glue it and we forgot about it. And he just rode the rest of the time with the <laughs> shell on his backpack. We have a, I actually recorded an episode with Anna Claire Beasley, who's the person that uh, concussed herself um, on that 2018 trip to Riodoso or Ruidoso. Um, so anyway, if anyone wanted to go yeah. back, it's episode six of the podcast and she talks about, uh, that experience. So yeah, yeah. Uh, full circle on that. And one. It, and it, it, yeah, it was, it was so eerie that it, it, it was nearly the, the same spot, very same hill. And it's a pretty gnarly descent. Um, yeah. and especially the first probably mile of it. And, um, that was just like, this can't be happening again. <laughs> it's a descent where, you know, I, I feel pretty competent descending and, and feel comfortable. I, I enjoy it, you know. Um, uh, but th this one was one where I was like, that one time my rear end got a little little too far away from me. And I was like, all yeah. right, Patrick, just yeah. calm down a little bit. You know, yeah. you know I, I could have gone down. It's one, of, it's one of those where... You know, I was definitely pushing it. I, I could have ate shit. Um, so we're actually probably lucky that more people. But y'all were y'all were like, listen, I mean, at the top of the hill, and that's one thing. I mean, you're talking about putting you know kids in pretty extreme you know places. Yes, Jared is, but Jared is also, and Justin are you know stopping at places and saying, okay, if you need to walk here, you walk. You know, this is what you have coming up, and and trying to provide you know, kind of counsel and information. And ultimately they're going to make whatever decision they're going to make, but they're not flying completely blindly when they go down these uh, hills. I mean, and, and that comes, you know, we, we realized like we, we didn't have a single person with us that I would say is just two or three times a week riding a bike um, in, in what we would call like a, a regular ride or normal ride. And so, but we do know that we want to provide them a very real environment, very real experience. And so, in order to do that, we have to scout everything we we uh, take them to, and then we also have to be able to provide them with the information that's going to keep them as safe as as safe as possible, safe as they can manage. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know if we can talk about this or maybe not mention the name, but there was a student at the end of day one that that seemed to be struggling. And you know, since we are talking about mental health and stuff, is that is that part of the course that you'd want to talk about or or not? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I don't mind mentioning in, in broad terms. Uh, you know, we we had yeah, I think that just the experience of it, yeah, for sure. And 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 this is where I think being outdoors being in that environment and especially being outdoors with a, su a supportive group of people that you're having this, this really, in, you know, unique experience with is extremely beneficial. We had a student who um, was, was, was struggling with some stress, not only that day, but some days prior. And that day uh, ends with, a kind of a kind of an adrenaline rush you know you you top out uh on this technical hike a bike or climb if you made it up uh pedaling it doesn't matter but you kind of you kind of top off elevation wise after this kind of big push and then and then uh you get to see all of the mountains around you at this point a panoramic view and then you have to descend on not not very long but you have to descend on a pretty rough road double track um going down into camp and I think there's such an adrenaline dump at the end of that day that uh, this particular student's external stresses, stuff that didn't actually had nothing to do with the class or had very little to do with the class, kind of just boiled up. 
and uh, and and left them a, a little bit helpless, uh, and 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 really reconsidering their their presence there. Now, there were external stressors. There were you know there were things going on that that none of us had any sort of control over, and but we could all sit there and think, wow, this is this is a big deal. Now, the student didn't go to, uh, but you know, one or two of us. That was it. Uh, about it, but, um, you know, it, it, it was a big deal and, uh, it's not something we necessarily have had to deal with in the past, but at the same time, because we're priming the students to be a whole lot more emotionally aware, it, it was something that we had to address immediately and in the right and appropriate way. And, you know, Maddie Walker is, is such a, a huge leader in the class, you know, since she's been with it for the past several years. And, you know, she visited with the student. I visited with the student. And, uh, you know, basically we both reinforced the idea that like where they're at right then and there, which was in the outdoors with a group of extremely supportive people, you know, being a member of a, of this team that isn't competing with one another, but has to help each other get through the end, I think ultimately was 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 like the 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 thing that gave some level of comfort. Now, obviously, I, I'm not in per, inside this person's head, so I, I don't want to put words yeah. in the student's mouth. But but uh, man, it was it, the the next morning but they were they were able to you know continue and yeah. Which I mean, which I mean, mental health isn't confined to a and and it can it can pop up at all different times. You know, you can't always control when you know a thought's going to creep in and take over and you'll feel helpless. You know, I'm very familiar with those types of feelings. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm empathetic towards that. And I'm like, you know, um, you know, I've had panic attacks in the outdoors. I've had, you know, things come up and, um, yeah, it it can be, it can be tough. And so, um, yeah. And and this student like came the next morning and told me that it was going to be okay. Awesome. And, 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 and then, uh, and then just killed it. The, the on the third day when in the third day which which i know i guess we'll get to talk about the rest of the days that you weren't there but the the third day was i think the hardest day uh for everyone i expected it to be the easiest but this student just went out and 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 had a blast was able to refocus energies and yeah it was it was super cool uh, to watch this student all the way to the end. And what a, and what a great opportunity for them to, you know, hopefully use that as a tool and an, an experience. I mean, it's never fun, but that's what I want to phrase. It's like, okay, these experiences are, are, can be challenging, but, but okay, we got through it. And what did I learn? And is this something I can recreate and use it as a tool, um, going forward? I'll, I'll share some of um, my thoughts on the first couple of days is, you know, you're you're now a, a part time resident of Riodoso or Ruidoso. I keep saying that wrong and uh, and and becoming more familiar with that area. But me seeing it for the first time, you know, I'll just say to the listening audience, I think whenever you picture New Mexico, I, I picture more of Santa Fe, um, the Monumental Loop, you know, that yeah. type of writing. And I wasn't prepared for the Pinion Pines and the June junipers and um and it was the device the diversity of the flora that was there um was quite remarkable the changing of scenery and landscapes as you went and then what i really enjoyed about it and i mentioned to you was um it's like 
you just got a lot of bang for your buck as you went. You you were exposed to a huge variety of sceneries and and uh, riding conditions and uh, and and the topography and everything. It just it was a it was a lot of bang for your buck per miles. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think this area is pretty underrated in the grand scheme of of the cycling world, but the outdoor recreation world in general. And I think West Texans know about it. I think. Northern Mexicans know about it. We have, there's a lot of people from like Juarez uh, that will uh-huh. come up to this area, but uh, you know, it, it's got some, some great backpacking trail networks. It's got, it's got three really nice single track mountain biking uh, net systems. And, and then it's, you know, the, the town itself is right in the middle of the Lincoln national forest. So you can tie together so many roads uh, mm-hmm. to go, you know, gravel tour or a bike pack or however, you, whatever you want to talk about. I mean, it's just you go out for a ride and, yeah. um, and you're right. It, it, it's, um, I like the, I like the, a lot of bang for your buck idea. Um, you cross there's th- the, the route itself is you see the difference between at least three different ecosystems and that doesn't happen a ton, you know, big Ben, one of our favorite places in the world, there are micro changes, but but it's still the Chihuahuan desert. <laughs> yeah. The biggest change would be, I think, in Pine Canyon, where you have all those pine trees and that water uh, fall coming down. But And that's a very unique and it's special because it's like so unique in that whole ecosystem. But yeah, it's a very micro uh, ecosystem there. Yeah. So to wrap up day one and two, I mean, everybody did great. We, uh, my yeah. leg at one point was bleeding so much that we thought we might need to get a, <laughs> a yeah. blood transfusion for whatever yeah. reason. But anyway, it turned that out to just be a scratch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just hit an art like an artery or something, and uh, I should post that picture of my bloody uh, leg warmer uh, to put it in perspective. But challenging riding. The the climbing was really what what makes it challenging. The downhills were challenging, um, and you need to pay attention. Um, but yeah, the the climbing is what really set the tone. And you know, there were so many students, and we're gonna kind of segue over to that. But many students who uh, were really proud of themselves on the second day for you know after day one, a lot of them were kind of like damn, I walked too much on day one. And they had each, I don't know if you noticed this or remember, but many of them have made personal goals to not walk on the second day. Yeah. And uh, almost, I think everybody who made that goal achieved it, um, at least that we heard from. And, uh, you know, they, they, everybody took breaks on the way up. I mean, it's this long, steep, sustained climb. Everybody was taking breaks, but, uh, most people, uh, were able to, yeah, if you made that goal to, to cycle the entire thing, bike the entire thing. And I thought that was something I noticed whenever they were talking, I thought it was cool that they were, they weren't letting themselves get dragged down by the fact that they didn't meet their own expectations. You know, you're on the very beginning of the trip and you're already letting yourself down. So like, are you going to let that spiral or on day two, are you going to say, no, today I'm going to do better. And the fact that they did that, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps is like, wow. So let's segue to our, you know, at the end of day two, we, we just sat around in a group and we had a chat about mental health So let's do that now. 
And then we'll come back and hear the rest of the trip from Jared because I wasn't there. All right. All right, everybody. So uh, we've got a little special special session uh, tonight with Patrick. Patrick has always been really supportive of this class and likes to do a, a, a type of recording with us that he is not frequently prone to do, which is like have a have a large a large uh, interviewee uh, section. So, but we're going to start this off with uh, doing what we did last night. We're going to do a little high low high. So. Be prepared, Aaron. You're first. All right. Okay, my first high was going up those mountains, like the really hard ones, and I read the sign, and it just said um, something about flooding. It said, like, if it's flooding, turn around, and then it said, don't drown, and I just thought that was so funny for some reason. <laughs> like, my mind was just like, that's hilarious, and it cheered me up, and then I went right back to dying, but... The low was definitely the hills that I was dying on. And then there was like a little bee like zooming around my head for like a whole 30 minutes of me walking up that and I was so frustrated with it. And then high was eating that chili mat. That was really good. Um, well, um, I had a very long like speech kind of thing written out, but I'm not very good at speeches. Um, but I do get nervous talking in front of groups of people, uh, believe it or not. I'm, I'm much more comfortable like on a one-on-one one, one -on -one setting just talking to somebody. But the, uh, the topic of mental health and how it relates to the outdoors has been one of the most important uh, factors in my life. So I don't know if, if y'all know what we're doing, but my idea is that we're going to share some of our experiences with mental health. And I say we, it's like, hey, Jared, great idea. You're making your students talk about their mental health. Why don't I interview y'all, Justin and Jared, about uh, their mental health and uh, maybe some of the ways that we uh, cope with mental health. And I, I will say that, um, you know, none of us here are doctors, but one thing that I've found a lot of value in is, is talking to people like Maddie was saying. I, I feel like, you know, in this world that we live in where a lot of the content that we see, a lot of what we're consuming is, is produced, it's edited, it's, you know, curated, it's algorithm to be to your liking and all these things. We can, uh, at least for me, I, f I feel like you can get a little um, lost and maybe feel like I've felt like an outcast. I felt like uh, kind of an outsider for a lot of my life, you know, and um, it wasn't until I think, you know, part part of part of my my journey has been talking to people and and learning that we really have a lot more in common than we than than we don't, you know. We we all experience. Uh, actually, Pepper Cook, who was on my uh, podcast, I don't know if y'all know her, but she has a quote that I like, and she says. Um, and well, she said this on the podcast, but she, she had a suicide attempt and we, it's, it's an excellent episode. I believe it's 44. And if you want to hear more from a, a really well-known athlete and a figure in our sport, she's very open and honest about her own, uh, journey with mental health. And, uh, I'll let her tell her story about if y'all want to listen to that one, it's a good one in the same vein. 
Um, but she said that if somebody is experiencing anxiety or depression or, you know, mental health issues, it, it's when, you know, we all um, experience it. And I think, I think, and I don't know this, but I, I think that we may experience different things at different levels, right? So um, I'll share a little of my personal story. When I was 14, I was, uh, I remember I was at a, a baseball game. We won. I did amazing. No, I don't remember. But but in this retelling, I, I, I probably— What, what position did you play? I don't know. Uh, no, I, play, I played first base. I know what I played, position I played. But I wasn't. A, I was never like a big baseball guy, but I played a lot of sports. And it was just one of them. Anyway, so I'm, I'm leaving the baseball game, walking with my family back to the car, and out of nowhere, I'll never forget this day. I mean, my vision got very tunneled. I, I couldn't breathe. I felt sick and just felt like the world was kind of like caving in on me for no reason. I'm just walking down, down the sidewalk. And uh, it, it got to the point where I wound up like throwing up and dry heaving and all this stuff. And and that that moment right there was the beginning of over two decades worth of me trying to grapple with what I now know is uh, social anxiety. You know, going to school uh, was was a, a, a terrifying experience every single day for me. You know, I, I felt nauseous all the time. At lunch, I couldn't eat because if I ate, I would throw up. So I was never eating at school. As I moved on later in life, I got into like the professional world. And I remember I was at this uh, dinner table. I was I was in international sales, not inter- no national sales. So I was flying all over, selling toilet paper to major corporations. That that part's true, uh, vacuum cleaners too. But you know I was at this dinner with like all these like I don't know. You know I'm trying to sell them stuff. You know so it's kind of an important dinner meeting. And I was just so anxious that um, I couldn't eat. And I kept going into the bathroom to throw up like all throughout this meeting because I was just so, um, yeah, it was, it was, I felt like nausea. And I, I should preface this by saying like the way that I grew up, you know, like mental health wasn't really talked about. Like it was not on my radar at all. And so on my journey, I, um, I mean, I saw chiropractors, I saw allergists, I saw ear, nose, and throat people. I saw, you know, just my general care. I, I went everywhere I could think of, and I was talking to all these doctors and specialists. I'm like, what what, what do I have, you know? And no, no one could tell me. It wasn't until I was in my early 30s, and I was dating this girl who had a long history of her own mental health problems, and I had a panic attack. And she's like, you're having a panic attack? I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, you're having a panic attack. I'm like, okay, that you know, I'm 30 something years old, and these are the first times I've ever heard uh, those words in my life, and um, that began a journey that ultimately uh, has allowed me to to start to fulfill some of the things in my life that I want to do. The podcast being one of them, being here with y'all, like doing stuff like this is not something I would ever dream that I'd ever be able to do because I was just so, uh, so terrified. And, um, anyway, I thought maybe we would share some of our experiences and maybe, maybe talk a little bit about how we, how we treat or how we manage some of those things. Okay. So, I mean, to wrap mine up, I, I, uh, yeah, learning learning to work through um, that has been the single most probably like important and liberating experience in my entire life. It's allowed me to 
to do um, a lot of things that I always dreamed of doing, but was never never able to. And uh, it's been really nice. So, all right, Jared, do you want to tell us all about your mental health problems? <laughs> well, I, a lot like <laughs> you, Patrick, I, I grew up in, in a in a family, but you know, to no fault of of theirs. That, that, it's a different age. Yeah, different mental time. health was just not talked about, and um, you just. I've, I've, I'm very fortunate to have grown up in a in a good family, in a, a highly practical family uh, on on a ranch, and um, you just did your work and you did your work the best you could, and and then you went to you went to bed that night feeling feeling good about the work, but probably worrying a little bit about about the work that was coming up, and so work and responsibility and opportunity were all those things that that I kind of grew up around, um, and a lot of that was very positively oriented. Um, and I think it's put me where I am today in a, in a lot of respects. But uh, at the same time, it's, you know, when you compile those three things on and just keep piling on that compilation of opportunity, hard work, responsibility, it can get pretty overwhelming. So I think the biggest thing that I I deal with most of the time is this, this overarching feeling that it'll come in every now and then it, it just boils down to being overwhelmed and there's a there's a, a very much a i don't know i don't know if i'd call it a, a panic attack but there's very much a a sense of too much uh you know some some big load on you and so that that's the biggest thing i think that i deal with i, I say yes too much um but uh because there's always something neat and not in in all of those opportunities you know and that's the big thing I deal with, and not not because we're just talking about you know on, on a on a bicycling podcast, but but uh, there were moments in my life that allowed me to deal with that level of stress in different ways. Um, the bike has definitely been a big part of that uh, in in my life, and you know, I think my even my family would recognize that. Hey, you need to go for a bike ride sometimes, uh, which is which is I'm very fortunate for that, but. It's, it is definitely something they they know that allows me to deal with this sense of too much, this this overwhelming feeling of, of having to do everything and uh, you know all the things. Um, earlier before that, it was it was being a, a musician, and uh, I've I have a tendency of taking everything that I do that is perceived as a hobby and running it up into the professional realm, and uh, and that's what I did with that too. But there was a great sense of of, uh, you know, r- release and, and, uh, stress mitigation whenever we were on stage. Like that was the only thing we had to do. So it was finding those things that allowed, allows me to focus on like the one thing and only the one thing that helps me cope with any particular rise and, and stress and, and what will ultimately lead to fatigue, uh, and, and then feeling a little bit listless. Yeah. When you're running in every single direction, you can't, I don't know. You're just running in every single direction. You're not managing one thing really well. You're probably not managing yourself really well. Yeah. You're just spread thin, and that doesn't do anyone yeah. Yeah. a lot of good in the end, probably. And every, I look at everything externally, and uh, this new—it it really is sort of a new wave of uh, you know taking care of oneself. It's definitely something I struggle with, like needing to needing to do a little bit more of. I totally respect people that can can switch it off a little bit. My my wife is a really good example that she can switch off work really fast, and I can't do that. But uh, 
it's one of those things that it can be really freeing though when you, when you do it and it's it's kind of like you're breaking up with the responsibilities for a second so you can take care of yourself yeah take a break man so what you touched on a little bit but uh is that mainly what you do to to manage situations like what what are some things that you do i mean going for bike rides going for the outdoors like how do you how do you switch it off how do you how do you actually apply that in your daily life yeah the the bike rides and i remember when i've because I, I got into cycling i mean i was a cyclist in college but not not very intense i just liked a mountain bike and took a break and then went through grad school and at the end of grad school you know decided that because grad school is is a pretty stressful process it, it it can be it's enjoyable to, at times but it can be incredibly stressful and i remember getting done with with uh with grad school and and then saying i'm gonna go buy myself a, a new mountain bike I, I hadn't biked in a while and i'm gonna go do this thing and and i did that and uh it was it was the first thing that i had done in a long time that wasn't professionally uh oriented like i was i was photographing for all sorts of different magazines and publications and I was doing the grad school thing I was still in a band we were recording we were touring um, I was writing books so there's a lot of things piled on top of uh, each other there and then when I decided to buy my mountain bike uh, after I finished grad school almost as a, a reward for finishing um, that was it was like the single most beneficial thing I could have done for my life at that moment and because every time I went to go ride, I was still learning. It was still something that, you know, it's like like Michael hearing him talk about falling a lot and stuff, but I've watched Michael do things over the past couple months that reminded me of, of where I was learning because it is a learning process and you get better and you have more fun, you gain more confidence. Um, but uh, all I had to do was concentrate on being on the bike because if I wasn't concentrating on being on the bike, You'd fall. I was falling off the bike, <laughs> exactly. Or hitting a tree. Or... Yeah, yeah. And then whenever I got more into it, uh, a little bit obsessively, um, going on longer rides and, and things like that, um, it just became this this thing that that you know I like I like I like being fit. I like staying healthy. Um, so it was that part taking care of the, the physical self, but it was also I, I was gradually realizing like this was really really good for me uh, beyond just the the physical. I remember telling a uh, a friend, a neighbor that lived down the street, that uh, we were talking about financial stuff. I don't know what we I don't know exactly what we were talking Hot about. Hot stock tips. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, that's <laughs> definitely not me. But uh, but we were talking about just kind of managing money and stuff. And I said, you know, one of the best things I, I've I've done in realizing is that I these bike rides allow me to to just not stress out about some of those things that everybody in the world stresses over, which was, uh, you know, how how am I going to pay my my mortgage the next month or rent or whatever it might be, right? Yeah. And so that that's a pretty rewarding thing to take, take a little bit of a break. Yeah. A little me time. All right, is it Keen's turn? Justin? So, Justin, why don't you start with your uh, relationship with mental health? So I'm the youngest of two, and my older brother was, frankly, like, and I'm not being, like, self-deprecating. He's just smarter than me. Like, the dude made fighter jet radar. He had a 4.0 in electrical engineering. I, you know, I liked making videos and telling jokes and teaching people stuff. And so I grew up in this family that just really valued, like, work ethic and grades and perfection, right? 
and did not have a high value system for really relaxing or really like having hobbies that were genuine. Um, and, and to some extent, like my dad post-retirement has completely flipped to be more like me and like really focus on relaxation and that kind of stuff. But, um, so I grew up just super like results focused. And so school was life and, you know, I was just super, super perfectionist and I got into college and, you know, just kind of continued on that, that vein. And, um, somewhere along the line, I worked at a summer camp where as a videographer and they had mountain biking and, uh, I'd grown up and I'd been athletic, like kind of like you were talking about, like I, I did a lot of different sports, but I, you know, wasn't like I was like rock star or anything at any of it, you know? Um, but I, I would go mountain biking with these high school kids to shoot video of them while they're spending that week at camp. And I just fell in love with it. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. I, I don't ostensibly suck at it. Um, I couldn't go all that fast cause I had like a $3,000 camera strapped to my chest, but, um, this is in the days before digital SLRs, but, um, I got back that summer and I, I made like 25 cents an hour to work at that camp, but I scrounged every penny I had and I, I went to a bike shop in Lubbock, um, and I bought a mountain bike and, uh, I just started going out to May Simmons, the, the bike trails there all the time. And just it kind of like what Jared said, it became a time where I didn't have to think about being perfect. I didn't have to think about performing and, and that kind of stuff. And so it kind of became a release for me. Ultimately, I went to grad school, and similar to what Jared said, grad school is really great, but it's also kind of sucky. And uh, I had an advisor who was a highly intense, highly intelligent, super productive, top-of-the-world scholar, but really, really intense. And so road cycling at that time kind of just became my checkout, you know. And so I would work for a few hours, and I'd, I lived in Bloomington, Indiana, which is like a road cycling mecca. And so I would just go out and go ride for a couple hours. And it it gave me an outlet that wasn't just being like good at school or being smart or whatever. It gave me something I could just do and just be myself and enjoy it. And then um, eventually I, I came back to tech as a professor in 2013. And in 2015, my wife and I became foster parents. And um, we had two kiddos move in. Um, over, over time now we have five kids, uh, but at that time we only had two and our oldest, um, has PTSD. And so that was kind of my first real, I grew up, I'm super ADHD and there's several other things in there that are non-neurotypical for me, but I didn't have any real relationship with trauma or how to deal with trauma or how to walk through it. And so walking through that with Jax has been really eye-opening to me. Um, on how to how do you deal with this kind of stuff and how do you actually like teach yourself to really feel your what you're feeling and understand how that influences your thinking and your behaviors and and all of that and what's been cool with him so he's almost 13 now and uh, he actually came to a trip last year with Adventure Media um, whenever I couldn't ride and so he just tagged along with me to go to the camp with us on the overnight but what I've learned with him is that it might not be cycling for him yet, but anytime I can just like take time with him where it's just me and him, you know, and just go be dudes and, and really like just sit across from like a restaurant table with him even, or whatever it is, and just give him time where he doesn't have to be cratered by the, by his past. And he doesn't have to be constantly overwhelmed with, you know, thoughts of that kind of stuff. And so trying to give him chances to, to, to develop those self-care habits, like, like Jared was talking about so that, you know, this, this thing's not going to go away for him right? His, his first three years of his life are going to impact the next 90. 
And so how can I teach him and help him and, and get him with the right professionals and all, all of that, obviously, but how can I teach him and model for him how to deal with it? And so much like Jared was talking about his family, he's like, you need to go ride a bike. My family tells me one of two things. They're either like, you need to go play video games, which is a hilarious thing for a guy in his mid-30s to need to go do to relax, or, hey, why don't you go ride your bike, right, and go be outside for a while, go camp this weekend or whatever. And my wife is really gracious about that kind of stuff, and she can see whenever I'm starting to just kind of feel the weight of everything. And when I start to trend back into that, like, perfectionism, you know, mode of just like, well, I've got to be perfect, and I've got to be the best, and I've got to do all that, and, you know, I don't. Cause I'm not going to be either. <laughs> like, I think, you know, you guys have watched me ride a bike for the last couple of days. I'm not very good at it. I've just done it for a while, but you know, like it, it gives me a chance to just kind of, I don't know. Like I think about the most random junk when I ride my bike and very rarely is it anything of actual consequence, you know, but it still is fun to just wander through and just kind of, and I think that's why I was drawn so much to road cycling in the early time too is, I could just tap out miles and just kind of mindlessly wander. So I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. And now I'm figuring it out with my kids too. How do I include outdoor activity as a way to work through that kind of stuff and to experience new things? So, yeah, well, that's the thing is like, <clears throat> it's always a, uh, a progression and, and to kind of pick up on one thing you were saying about like being too hard on yourself you know, one of one of the tricks that or tips that I use to help manage my own anxiety is is to like forgive myself and to allow myself to make mistakes, allow myself to be wrong. And not to say I'm seeking out those things. I'm always seeking out to be like anybody. I want to be liked. I want to do something well. You know, I want, you know, every, everybody, whatever your metric is, you know, th those are the things that I, I aspire to. But what I've learned and what I, I believe is that um, those are learning opportunities. And every time something doesn't go right or you come up a little bit short, what it really is is an opportunity for you to look at it. Maybe why did I not try hard enough? Maybe maybe shitty, something shit. I mean, there's a million reasons, but um, it's just an opportunity to really come back and keep trying. And to tie it back into what we're doing here, um, you know, for me, the idea of being able to put everything that you need to survive on your bike to come out into a rugged and a vast landscape with very little water, people, civilization, and, um, and be able to get yourself to camp every single day, um, that is an opportunity for you to learn how capable you are. And like Jared was saying, he's already seeing some of the students develop. And, and that's the progression of life. We all start at a very, you know, whatever it is, we're always going to start somewhere near the bottom. And we're going to have to be willing to work and to grow and to learn as we progress through whatever thing it is. But I found that, you know, the outdoors and cycling and bikepacking have been in, in especially impactful because you are so reliant on yourself. It is just you, you know. I mean, we all we all got here today, you know, and um, and and that's a tool that you can take with you into your daily life. Like, wow, I'm really capable. I'm way more capable than I I thought. And man, that's just a process, you know. And and I'm grateful for that process. I I've come up short on this trip in terms of where I would like to be. But, I, you know, I don't, you know, don't let those things get you down, you know. 
Um, everybody has low spots and, uh, just like there's climbs and there's descents and there's peaks and there's valleys, life is, is very much the same way. So, yeah, I, I would love to, um, open it up to anybody here who wanted to share some of their own experiences or even ask questions. So we got, we got a day, not Addy, a day, right? We got to get it right for the podcast. We got to get it on record. <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess for me, my biggest mental health challenge is actually being uh, transitioning from Nigeria to like America because it's, it's been a, it's, it's a different culture, like a different lifestyle entirely. And like they're miles away, they're miles apart. And so like back in Nigeria, like mental health, either was not really a big thing or I was probably too young to think about mental health. Uh, I came to the United States alone at the age of 17. And so it was like hours of flying by myself. And, you know, at that point it was like, I knew that I just had to be independent, you know, either by force or like just by circumstances, right? And so um, it was one of those things where when I came to the U.S., I just had my sister who is who is in Houston, and that was eight, that's eight hours away from Lubbock. So it wasn't like she could always come down, you know, um, every time to check up on me, you know, like even on parents, they like, I don't get to see her just because of the distance. And so it's really been like a challenging process, you know, like when she dropped me off at the at the campus and I looked around and I was like, where am I? Like, <laughs> cause you know, like um, on average, like campuses are usually like at least five times larger than a Nigerian campus. So it was a really like vast landscape. And so I was just like, how was I gonna find my way? You know, a 17 year old boy, like what do I know that I'm doing, you know? And it was just, and I felt like I spent bulk of my time trying to physically prepare for my move to America, but like I didn't take the time to actually prepare about my mental health, you know, and so that was where I knew that I had made a huge mistake. Like, how was I going to like make decisions for myself and figure things out by myself, you know, like what else do I do and like what do I do, you know, like the educational system was completely different and so it was just a matter of I do not even know what to do, you know, I do not even know where to start. And so, you know, um, but as time went on, I just, you know, started talking to people, you know, making friends gradually because uh, before I started talking to people, my dad said something. He said that uh, when you talk, you are only repeating what you already know, but when you listen, you may learn something new, right? And seeing that America is different from Nigeria, there might be things that I'm that I say that might be a joke in Nigeria, but like saying it over here might be like an insult or like a bad word. You know, like for instance, when you say drugs in Nigeria, it means like medicine. When you say drugs over here, it's like cocaine you know, or like add drugs, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right? So like those were things that I had to be cautious about, you know, making sure like I didn't you're like find- I'm going to the store to get some drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it was definitely things like that I had to be, you know, aware of. And so I just had to like spend more time observing the environment, you know, and not just rushing to um, start talking to people or making friends. But, you know, as time went on, I found my way around that. And, you know, I just started uh, joining organizations and just, you know, getting involved, you know, and in terms of, so... Uh, when I get through like my regular class days, I spent 
like the rest of the day just by myself, just reflecting and making sure that I'm actually like on the right path, you know, because like my mom would always tell me like, never forget the son of whom I am. Like I should never forget where I come from. And so like every time, like even though I'm being in America, I remember that I am always an African, you know. And so like I actually have like an African pendant on my neck that I wear with me. And so it just reminds me that, you know, I'll always be an African. You know, and so I just spend time just reflecting on myself, just making sure that I'm making the right decisions, you know, making sure that I'm not forgetting, like, you know, my own country back in Nigeria. And, uh, you know, so just having times like this or just events like this to just, you know, keep to yourself and just explore, you know, time away from your phone and just reflect about life in general, about how far, you know, you've come. Uh, I've been here for like four years now and... I look back and it's like, I've definitely like, you know, done a ton of things, you know, uh -huh. and so these are things that I think about just, you know, climbing up these mountains and just, you know, aside from the fact that it's really challenging and strenuous, <laughs> but it's, it's definitely a good time to just, you know, reflect, you know, and it definitely helps me. And like, I just want to thank, you know, Dr. Foss and Dr. King for like an amazing opportunity like this, because, you know, these are things that you don't typically find in a classroom, you know, and I feel like they're really important because like right now mental health is becoming like an uprising issue. And so like more of these activities would actually, you know, make lives way better for students, you know, but preach <laughs> that's all i have at eight yeah well said buddy well said you said a couple things uh one self-reflection how how important it is to know ourselves to spend time not only figuring out like who you are but but what do you want what are the things in life that are going to bring you value what are the friendships in life that are going to add value to your life you know, and, and the only way to figure that out is to spend time with yourself um, and, 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 and reflecting on those things, you know, is this in line with who I want to be? Is this in line with, you know, the direction that I want to go? You also talked about, you know, getting away from your cell phone. And I, I, I wanted to open up that question. I was kind of curious to get y'all's feedback, but, you know, being here in this environment without being inundated constantly by everything in every direction, whether it's teachers or parents or friends or, you know, everything that's going on in the world. For me, whenever I can come and be out here and look up at the stars and feel the wind and, you know, experience it, I'm able to um, disconnect from that, that part of the world and all those bills that might be mounting up, you know, I'm able to like check out um, from that. Anybody else want to share? Or... What you got, Conneth? Hey, it's uh, Conneth again. Um, <laughs> so I'm also currently in grad school, uh, and I can definitely validate uh, what Foster and Keen were saying about it being awesome but stressful. Um, especially starting out at this beginning of COVID and stuff, like things were just way different than I was expecting. Um, and I had to do a lot of internal processing about, you know, how that felt. And uh, I'm a very extroverted social person. So uh, going into grad school and everything being kind of shut down was really tough for me. Um, and, you know, luckily my advisor, uh, Dr. Rogers, is wonderful and uh, takes, a, takes really good care of us. And uh, even students that aren't, you know, her problem technically, uh, but she's great. My wife has been super supportive, but the last couple of months have been real tough uh, just with stuff piling up and trying to 
finished projects. Um, and I was reaching a point where I was really starting to kind of question my decisions and, you know, do I really want to do this? You know, is it worth all the effort and stuff? And I had these discussions with, you know, my advisor and my wife and, uh, they were both super awesome and, you know, they cleared this week out for me and encouraged me to come on this trip, which has been great. And honestly, getting to connect with, you know, everyone else that's sitting around here has been super awesome. Like y'all are a lifesaver and getting to, you know, spend this much time around everybody and, uh, you know, y'all are kind of stuck with me at this point. So, (laughs) um, but just being able to interact with everyone and and hear y'all's stories and stuff has been super fulfilling for me and, uh, you know, just kind of recharged my batteries and stuff that had been been running on empty for a long time. Uh, so, yeah, i just like to thank Foster and Keen for, for inviting me out here and uh, just continuing to let me tag along since I have nothing to do with this class whatsoever. <laughs> but <laughs> I, uh, I really appreciate you guys a lot and letting me come out here and hopefully I can can stay involved. And how cool is it that they put on a class like this? I mean, this is it's, like the only one in the world or in the United States that we're aware of. Yeah, yeah, it's it's super awesome. Um, uh, you know, I, I knew about the class for a couple of years just from knowing Foster from the, from the bike shop and stuff. Um, but actually getting to see this and the training that y'all do and, you know, all the work that goes into this is ridiculous. Um, like I, I haven't ever seen another class that requires this much work and prep and thinking uh, on the professor's part or on the students. I mean, this is this is huge. This um, is something that has an impact. Yeah. You know, not to say I, I've never been to college, actually, but I have to. Yeah, I've taken the adventure media course three yeah. times and I got an A today. Jerry gave me an A. Uh, a plus, I believe, actually. Well, y'all, y'all work it out beside, between yourselves, but I got an A, so it, it, it I mean, this leaves a, this is going to leave a mark on, on people's lives and it, it matters. I mean, Maddie's a good example. Do we have any, I don't want to put anyone on the spot, but we've, okay. Yeah. I was going to ask for a lady because all these, all right, great. Um, I'm Hannah again. So this is a very, very big year for me. I have a lot of really big life changes, as everybody here knows, because I talk about it all the time. I am getting married and moving to a different state um, all in the span of about three months. Um, And it's been like a lot just to like have to prep for all of that. It's been really heavy on me and it's all super exciting. I don't want to down because obviously this is really cool life stuff that's going on for me. Um, but it's a lot just on you at one time. Like it's a lot to go through and, um, that no one in my family can really relate to it in any way. So, um, you know, it's often like, well, this is your choice. You decided to move away and do this thing. So, um, it's been really hard in this semester having this class to kind of escape to every so often has just been really great um, because it's like Foster has said, like you can't think of anything else but the bike on the road um, and not falling off of the bike <laughs> on the road. So, um, yeah, so I just, um, I've even been going to therapy this semester. Like it's been a lot of like really, I've tried to been be really in tune with my mental health. That way I can go into my marriage um, in a good place and go into this next phase of life in a good place. But I mean, I really think without this class, I'd be in a 
like a rough spot mentally just because like I'm so overwhelmed all the time basically and having people I can talk to about it like I've had friendships in this class that have grown outside of this class now like we meet for coffee and um, we hang out and we do things together and so that all stemmed basically from this class. So without this class, I would have, wouldn't have the friendships that are getting me through the semester. I wouldn't have those moments to just be and not have to think about everything else I have going on. And I just, I don't know, I just really feel like I would not be in a good place. So I'm pretty thankful for all of that. Yeah, that was good. Thank you, Hannah. Yeah, so I'm... So... Um, growing up, I watched my mom struggle with a lot of health issues that are still occurring in her life. And she, like, she's been to so many doctors and they don't know what's wrong with her. But one of the biggest things that that led into was she would be, like, really depressed all the time. And I'd go home from, like, high school and I'd find her, like, laying on the bathroom floor, like, puking her guts up and... I'd be like, Mom, like, what what can I do to help you? And I'd just pretty much take care of her. And she would tell me sometimes, she'd just be like, if it wasn't for you and your sister, I would kill myself. And that was something that affected me a lot. So growing up, I had to deal with a lot of that. And I'm, the fir- I'm a first-year student, or first year in college, and... Um, I was so worried about moving away from my mom because I wouldn't be able to take care of her. And um, I just kept myself really busy. I took, like this semester, I'm taking 18 hours of class. I work 20 hours and then I freelance photography and I go to church a lot and I really don't have a lot of free time in this um Everybody keeps telling me that I'm crazy for taking this class as a freshman. But I had such a hard time when I moved up here just making friends and not being able to be around my mom and helping her. And so I was really hoping that this class would help me to make friends and help me to get out of that mindset. Because, like, my mom, I I mean, she just never really dealt with her depression as I think she should have because of the time she, like she was raised like y'all were like she wasn't it wasn't really a thing and so like I kind of saw that so that's how I felt like I had to deal with that like I just had to bury it and I don't know getting in this class and being able to talk to people about like my mental health and being able to just get out of my mind like my mind space and just forget about the world and forget about all the craziness has just helped me so much like I this semester has been really really hard on me and I'm just glad to be here and to be making friends and connections because I was really struggling with that and being able to find people who I'm comfortable to talk about like my my past and my family with just like it's so amazing because I've literally never talked about that with anyone I've I wrote us an essay about it for a scholarship that only the scholarship people have read, <laughs> but I've never really like talked about it. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. It's, it's why I said, I think talking about it is so important. You know, it's why I drove 11 hours to be here. So 
we could we could have conversations like this because like when I was growing up, your mom was probably growing up. It just wasn't a. It, I, no one ever talked about it. Uh, it just wasn't on the table. But I'm happy to see. I'm happy to see that Hannah, you know, is checking in herself. She needs to go to therapy and 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 make sure you know she's preparing for marriage. And Ade is, you know, taking time to do mental health check ins and and stuff like that. It's it's very encouraging. Um, do you mind sharing uh, ha- how that's impacted your own mental health and? Because because what 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 we just learned is something that is important is how our mental health can impact the people around us, you know. So I don't know if I deal with my mental health in the best way. I probably should see a therapist, but my mom always told me that therapists were quacks, <laughs> which <laughs> I think that's just how she was raised. Um, I think every single, like, my mom, my sister, my grandma, my aunt have all been on depression, anxiety medicine, and I've never felt like I needed it. I feel like I've been one of the strong ones, but I go, I guess to deal with my mental health, I just go out and I do stuff to relieve the stress. Um, Last week was one of the most stressful weeks in college, I think, because we had I had three exams and three assignments, and they were big assignments. And I was sitting there, and I was like, I need to get out of my dorm, and I need to stop studying. And we had a ride on Thursday, and I really thought Foster was going to cancel it because he was like, I can't go, but Michael let it. And I was just like, being able to do that got me out of my headspace. And, like, made me be, like, okay, like, you're getting it done. Like, it's fine. And um, another way I just deal with it is I'll take time and just go out and, I'll sh- like, shoot photography and just doing stuff that that basically makes me not think about, like, my struggles and just doing one thing at a time is just kind of how I deal with it. That's a great perspective. You can't take on the whole world at one time, you know, and that's that can be a very hard lesson. I mean, even Jared, you know, was talking about. I mean, it, it's it's so hard, but yeah, you gotta take one bite out of the elephant at a time, I guess. Does anybody else have a? After hearing the last personal account, another student was inspired to share their personal story, but because their story involves family members and some very sensitive topics, they've asked me to paraphrase uh, that experience and their story. And so this person shared that they grew up in a family with a mother who was diagnosed at an early age with type 1 bipolar, which led to a very tumultuous childhood one where her brother and her sister would sit downstairs in the morning and hope that their mother would not come downstairs. That was an indication that she was currently in a depressive state and would stay in her room. This would allow the children to uh, to ra- relax and, and be free uh, for, for those moments, which is sad to think about. Their childhood was completely dictated by the highs and the lows, the manic and the depressive episodes of their mother. 
So they were either going, 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 and everything was great and life was wonderful, or things were not great and things were bad. And that roller coaster ride of emotions was very difficult. It was a very difficult family environment to grow up in. This student went on to share that they also, um, in their teens, had been diagnosed as bipolar, which was extremely difficult for them to wrap their mind around. Um, It was hard to fathom that they, too, were going to be maybe just like their mother, who had been unmedicated for their entire childhood and, and continues to be unmedicated to this day which made it very, very difficult for them to come to terms with their own mental health. But thanks to Texas Tech University, um, they were able to seek therapy. They were able to find medication, and that has helped a lot to balance them out. Unfortunately, in their first year of Texas Tech, they hit a low point. Many factors were contributing, but it ultimately culminated in a suicide attempt. I'd like to read a quote, a little excerpt from what they said and they shared from this experience. It sucks to talk about, but I think that when we do talk about it, we feel less alone. And I think feeling alone and feeling overwhelmed or the need to be perfect, I think that's when problems can happen. The problem isn't bipolar. The problem is when you feel isolated and you're bipolar or when you feel like you can't reach out for help or get medicated or seek a solution that benefits you and everybody else around you. They went on to say that there is nothing preventing them from doing what they want or need except for themselves. And so if they take the right steps by talking to people when needed, by taking medication, and by talking to doctors and being proactive about their own mental health, they believe that they're able to manage their mental health. And for me, I, I'm happy to hear that. I mean, we're talking about uh, young adults who are just now starting their journey and maybe didn't have the examples growing up of how to manage their mental health and their, you know, in this case, bipolar. And so I'm grateful that what we're seeing is them be able to identify tools that they can use and resources that are available to them so that they can manage uh, their mental health and that they can grow as a person and live a happy and a fulfilled life. So I'd like to thank that student for sharing their story with us. And I personally would like to wish them well on their journey and let them know that they are loved and appreciated. And I'm happy that they're, that they're able to identify some of these things. And I wish them well on their continued journey. Now, using the magic of the internet, we will transition back to my conversation with Jared to find out how the trip went after I left. Where are we at, Jared? So let's see. 
I, uh, for, you know, just for scheduling reasons with my kids, they were, I, I had them for the second half of spring break, my own personal kids, not my students. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I had to get home. And uh, luckily, uh, your wife and your family had driven out on Tuesday night to make us a bomb ass dinner and some yeah. pancake breakfast. Um, it was really cool to get to meet your family finally. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so because of, because she was coming out there anyway, she was able to on the on Wednesday morning day three uh, you know after we all ate breakfast uh, we parted ways and I went back to my van um, and just so you know I, I got uh, home about midnight uh, it was nice. great I didn't have to take another uh, stop I just uh, got in the van and dude I didn't even take a shower I went back to whatever that uh, campground the uh, uh, what, what is it Greystone Lake uh, uh, Grindstone Lake yeah Grindstone Lake yeah, I didn't even take a shower because I was like, man, I don't have any soap or anything, so I'm just going to get wet. <laughs> I was like, I just I just hightailed it back to Texas and took a shower when I got home. But, you know, that's why I had to leave. But um, I'm, I'm super curious to hear how the rest of the trip went because, you know, day three, I heard one of the students mention it where it's like, it, mentally, I think they were already preparing it for it to be the hardest day because it's the beginning of the middle. And, you know, yeah. it's like it's right smack dab in the middle. And, you know, you've had two days in a row of some really challenging climbing. And and I wonder, you know, how how did they fare going forward? Did they continue to rise to the challenge or or how did it go? So day three, we, we got a little bit later start. And, and part of that was I, I didn't feel compelled to rush them that day because I'm, it was the longest mileage. We had about 26 miles or so to go which again, may not sound like a lot, but when you're loaded down and you're not a seasoned cyclist, that's, that's a distance, especially in the mountains at elevation. Yeah. And, uh, but it was the flattest day. Um, elevation wise, it rolled basically on gravel and paved road roads the whole day. It was on paper, the easiest day. It was definitely not the easiest day. And I think it was the hardest day for, for everyone. There were some people that did pretty well. And again, one of those days where some of the folks that I, uh, I expected to be, you know, maybe closer to the back of the pack, because that's a great way to judge, you know, just uh, where everybody is. We have to keep an eye on everybody. Uh, they were not, you know, it, it, it changed. You know, it was also the hottest day that we, we were out. It was the most exposed day, like no trees on the trail, uh, hardly at all. And then, it was also the day where uh, the the wind and the weather uh, were the most dynamic. the The wind blew twenty five miles an hour the whole day, and we had a we had a tailwind for the first half of the day and a non tailwind for the second half. Oh no! <laughs> uh, so it was not the way you'd plan your ride if you're just going out for a single ride. And then uh, it went from being the hottest day to getting snow on us that night. So it was very dynamic day in, in all of those factors coming in really kind of, I say wreaked some havoc. It, it, it just stressed people out um, physically and mentally. The, the, the good thing was, is that, I mean, it went through a pretty neat landscape out in the Fort Stanton, Capitan, New Mexico area. It also had our only town uh, in, in the whole trip uh, on it. So the third day we, we hit Capitan, New Mexico towards the end the last five, six miles of the day. And we all sat down. Once we got there, we just kind of wind beaten riding this, you know, a no shoulder pavement on the, you know, for about four miles down into town. 
And uh, when we got there, we all sat outside the grocery store for probably an hour and a half. Oh, wow. And, and just kind of ate and drank and, you know, just kind of replenished a little bit. Um, Brandon walked inside and we were immediately looking, you know, thinking like, all right, where do, where do we get some burritos? Because we knew the gas station wasn't going to have them because we had talked to them previously. And uh, so Brandon went straight to the, like the meat counter and they were closing the meat. They were not the store, but they were closing the meat counter and where they had all the you know veggies and you know fresh food that you can order. And uh, Brandon being the guy that he is, uh, they said, well, we're closing. He goes, fine. I'll take everything you have left. So all the brisket and carnitas and stuff like that. And not, he, he just bought it all. And so brought out, you know, four kind of uh, styrofoam containers full of food. Uh, and then we, you know, he got some tortillas and then everybody had a, had a burrito, which was really nice. Uh, wow. I think that kind of boosted people's spirits. Um, and uh, we talked about a lot about mood boosting on this trip because they're every, every hill you crest, there's a mood booster. Yeah. But, uh, but it what time in the day did you get, did y'all get to uh, the grocery store? We, we probably got there. I think we got there at about three. Oh, wow. Um, so you made pretty good time, even though. It, well, it might've been a little later because we ended up getting to camp after sunset. Okay. Um, so it, it might've been closer to, to four. Uh, and we left the, the grocery store while the sun was, you know, during golden hour, sun was setting and we were biking straight into it. And, and the, the, I think the, the thing that kind of topped the hardship of the day off was that there's a, there's a kind of a fitness trail that's right. That's parallel to the highway. Uh, and we have to take that trail or the highway to, uh, a, a, based on the road that turns off into the forest and to where our camp was at night. And that the, the fitness trail runs out uh, about maybe a mile, mile and a half before we need to actually turn off into the forest. But there's a double track road right next to where, where it should be. And so instead of jumping on the highway, which was uphill and on a turn going straight into the sun, which is not safe, right? No. For cyclists. We decided, hey, or we, I, I made the call that we're going to take this double track road. And that double track road was the toughest road we'd probably ridden the past three days. Um, and it was no, no huge climbs, but every climb was the steepest we hit. And, and uh, it was just, you know, bumpy, like a bunch of horses have been on it or something like that. And we did that for, an, for, for the last mile and a half. And that doesn't sound like a long distance, but when people are like, pretty knackered, uh, and, and looking, looking to get to camp. That was, that was enough. Once we did that, um, sun had already set the wind still blowing 25 miles an hour. We still got a lot of, you know, glow in the sky so we can see everything. I went on ahead to find a campsite that was closer than the one we originally had planned. And I found one uh, at basically where, where a bunch of locals come out and just shoot their guns. And, and so it was just littered with shotgun shells and, you know, brass and everything. And, uh, I, but, but it was a little bit out of the wind, a little bit lower uh, and on a nice patch of dirt. And, and so we, we made it into camp and, and, and you know, I, I said, Hey, you know, we're going to have to get there and like immediately just start setting up camp because it's nightfall. And, you know, we don't quite, we know it's going to get cold in the early hours of the morning, but we don't know how, how quick it's going to get cold. So we'd just eaten and stuff. So they didn't really have to have to have dinner. They set up camp 
And the coolest thing about that day is that not a single person went to bed, like went straight to bed. They set up their tents and they all gathered around this one juniper tree and just hung out and not, no one was gropping. There was no commiserating. It was like, did you see this? How about this? Making jokes about stuff. And, and, and it was like, okay, that's pretty cool because this could have been a, a really sour end to the day. Uh, Cause it was, it was not great. And, and, uh, rolled into camp and everybody's just hanging out by headlamp and, um, that's really you know, cool. Yeah. It was just kind of a, a small little party down there on the, on the unofficial shooting range. <laughs> I've noticed the same thing, no matter how hard the days are. And I'm speaking about every adventure media trip that I've been on. It's always surprised me that in the evening time, it's almost like it gets erased. And I don't know if it's their youth and their naivety that allows them to just kind of like, they, they just, they, they commune and they camaraderie and they, they laugh and they talk about their day. And it's not a benching and moaning and a, oh, I heard this and I heard that. It's just like, they're laughing. They're just enjoying themselves and the outdoors and their friendships. Um, but, you know, yeah, to, to be able to continue to do that even after a hard day, I, I was wondering, so the, I mean, on day three, the students were aware of obviously the wind, but were they also aware that the weather was turning to, you know, pretty cold and snowy. And so, you yeah. know, mentally having that drain on you has got to be, cause it was already cold the first two nights. Everybody, the first two nights were like, I can't feel my feet. And that was probably the biggest complaint is like, everybody was cold. Everybody felt like underprepared for the weather. And now you're saying, okay, middle of the trip Wednesday night. Now we're going to get snow. We're going to have the wind. It's going to get colder, you know? Yeah. Well, so I think the coldest night on the trip was probably the last night, but up until that point, it was the second night, you know, after we had the round table discussion or campfire discussion and then went, went to, I mean, that night got cold. Um, now we knew that they were equipped, but if you're not used to sleeping outside, you're not used to just simply being cold you know, yeah. all night long. And, uh, and so, th yeah, that pushed some buttons for sure. Then third night, even though we got snowed on, it actually was warmer all night long than, than the previous nights. And it was kind of odd because we woke up and there was like a, one of those really kind of wet snows everywhere all around us. And, and you could see off in the distance some other, you know, kind of larger mountains where it, it had just gotten pounded with that really wet clingy snow. It makes all the trees white. And, but, uh, on us, you know, we woke up the next morning. Now we didn't get going on the fourth day until a little bit later. And it kind of redirected some of our plans, but because we had to let everything kind of melt and thaw out and stuff like that. But, but it was pretty managed, pretty bearable. And, and so, I don't know. Maybe the weather gods are just smiling down on us. Like, look, you guys have had a crappy day the day before. We're gonna, even though we dump, we even though we dump snow on you, we're gonna we're gonna chill it out a little bit. But um, but yeah, no, it was. They, they knew the weather was gonna be somewhat inclement, but we didn't want to make. I, and this may be just me. Like, I don't make a big deal out of out of a whole lot of things like that. And so, I just kind of kept saying, you know, it's gonna get pretty cool tonight. It could snow. It might rain, but hey, you're all in. You know, we had just gotten this grant to purchase Big Agnes bike packing tents uh, from a unit on our campus called Transformative Undergraduate Experiences. And so, in my mind, I'm sitting there going, like, 
you guys are so prepared for this. It's crazy. And you may not even know it. And, yeah. and turns out they, they were. And, and so I wouldn't, I, I didn't want to overhype the weather because that just psyched people out. Yeah. So starting day four, yeah, everybody is, is still perky. Everybody's still, I mean, they're pretty tired. Yeah, they're yeah. Day four, everybody was tired, and and uh, you know that kind of showed in in who was kind of ahead and how long it took for people to catch up. Day four was supposed to have our biggest climb on it of the whole trip, but because of that snow and where a lot of the snow occurred, we decided to divert from the original route and just take uh, some pretty big undulations down to uh, our, our campsite. And uh, okay. so we had a couple different options there. We would not have, uh, we, we got to camp that day after riding a lot of pavement, actually, probably, at, I don't know, 4.30 or, or, or so. It was pretty early. And I told them, because we camped at the bottom of a descent where we had would have been coming down from that original route. And I said, if we, we were all eating dinner, you know, the sun had set and stuff. And I said, if we had still been on, if we'd went the original way, we'd probably still be a thousand feet higher than we were just trying to make a descent down in the snow and, and possibly ice and rough conditions. So, so it was the right call, even though we didn't get to do the original route that day. I have a feeling that the students would probably trade a little snow for, uh, avoiding that climb. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. Was- <laughs> yeah. Nobody, nobody was sitting there going, I mean, we feel gypped. <laughs> yeah, no, it, was, it was definitely, uh, it was a good day. I mean, it was a positive day, even though we were tired and we had to do a lot of climbing, it was still really positive. And that, that evening, you know, because it was the last night on the trail, everybody was enjoyed hanging out. We had this beautiful evening, golden hour in the mountains. We're, we're around Benito Lake at that point. And so you're just stuck right there in the middle of the mountains and we're back towards Sierra Blanca. It's a pretty great place. And then, uh, and then it just got super cold uh, <laughs> that night. But at that point, everybody's kind of like dealing with it. You know how it is. If you spend two days, three nights somewhere out somewhere, you just kind of get used to it. And, uh, they, because they were doing it together, uh, I think it helped, uh, make, you know, just fast track that feeling. Well, it can help if people stay positive. Uh, obviously coming from a top down helps. I know for a fact that you and Justin stay positive. Um, it hopefully sets a a good tone, but yeah, if you get somebody that's starting to speak negatively and having negative and raw emotions that those can eep in, you know? And so, And we want them for the purpose of this story that they're creating. We wanted them to have those raw emotions. I mean, we don't want to take that away from anybody, but you're right with group movement like this, you do have, there is a point where you have to manage the, 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 the overall experience. And so we're getting closer to the end that last day, everybody's really psyched out about that last day because they know about this one big pavement climb that is like, it's a great, if you're a road cyclist, it's the kind of climb you want. And, and, uh, it's big, it's long. And the next day we had this downhills, this is the last day of the trail. We had this downhill to the, to the pavement and we start what's called Angus Hill and Angus Hill is the big climb. Everybody's psyched out about it. And I just told them like, we're not even going to stop at the stop sign. I mean, we, you know, legally we are, but we're not going to stop there and have a lecture about how to climb and stuff like that. We're just going to turn right and we're going to go up that hill. We're going to stop halfway up the, this little area that has some information about the little bear fires that kind of ravaged the area uh, about a decade ago. 
And so we're going to stop there, halfway point, and then we're going to continue climbing. We're going to get to the top, take a little break, and we're just going to keep on going. And I think not having to stop and talk about it, especially on the fifth day, made all the difference. And, and, and we got up, and we finally got all the way up to the top, and everybody was like, Foster, you, you talked this up. Like, you made it sound way too big. And I said, I tell you no lies. I said, it was a big climb. You just were able to do it. You were able, you were more capable of doing it based on the previous day's worth of experiences. And Justin echoed the same thing. Anybody that had been in the class or, or around the experience before was saying the exact same thing. Like, and, and they saw that there was this, there was this thing that they could tackle. And that's also shows you the difference between uh, gravel and pavement. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, it did, it did help for sure. I mean, it was no Devil's Canyon. Devil's Canyon, that gravel climb is just, it's, it can be pretty brutal. That's what, but that's what I'm saying. It gives you that perspective. Uh, yeah. You're like, you, you're like, this is a big climb, but um, you know, they've already done big climbs. They've done hard climbs. And so once you have that perspective, you're like, Foster, you said this was hard. You're like, no, it, it, this is a real climb. It's just that you, now you have more perspective that yeah. you didn't have. And so it didn't feel as hard. Maybe, you know, I don't know. I'm just projecting. Yeah, but. no, totally. And, and the last day was the day that threw everything out of them. So they had gravel roads, they had paved roads, big paved climbs. And then we threw, that's when we actually threw the single track in, into the mix. And so we basically got to a point, our last big climb of the day was a hike a bike. And, you know, Brandon and I, and a couple of other students, we tried making it up. We got maybe 200 yards and before we just had to get off the bike, mostly because this is where snowpack sits and it, it had turned to mud. Now, A, we didn't want to tear up the trails, uh, but we had to get up and over this thing. And so everybody was hiking back in, you know, their bikes are accumulating mud. They're getting heavier and it's steep for a mile. Once they get up to the top, it's just single track down fast road, single track, and then sidewalk basically into to our camp that night. And so we threw the, the hiking bike at them. And even though it was tough for, for everybody um, and tougher on some folks than others, it, they still got to the top and they they, they were over it. It's like, you know how you have physical recovery, your muscles have to recover after a climb. They had mental recovery really fast and it became, it came faster and faster. And, and isn't it cool to see that? Like you see it because you've been with the class before you see it because of other programs that you've been a part of. And I think it's just super neat to see the acclimation to challenging experiences. Yeah, for sure. It's that it's you're watching in real time. People learn about themselves yeah. Like yeah. and and adapt uh, accordingly, and it's 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 amazing. It's why I am so hooked on this course because I'm not going with a bunch of seasoned bike packers who already have some of this knowledge base and they're already operating with it. We're every time you know you do this and I, I get a chance to go, I'm watching in real time these people work through these things and they have some guidance. Uh, but it's it's amazing. It's it's truly an incredible experience. Um, it's crazy that there aren't more people and organizations and and places where we're we're talking about and we're giving these types of opportunities to to anyone. I mean, you're in the um, you know you're you're a professor, so obviously you're you're looking at uh, students as an opportunity. But uh, I would love to see you know programs like yours and people just looking at 
um, the outdoors in more unique ways and different perspectives. And, uh, you know, because the outdoors is, is the outdoors is as broad as people and people are diverse, you know? And so there's so many different ways and angles and approaches. And that's one of the cool things is, is, uh, yeah, I don't know. You always take an interesting approach and you also always, uh, take inexperienced, people who are not necessarily just outdoors people. Um, and so you, you, you're, I think you said this before when we were chatting, um, leading up to the class, you're like, we've got several layers of social experiments going on here. You know, we're like, <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's, it's layers of stuff that that's, I, I should mention, you know, we ended our ride at Midtown mountain campground and RV park did my, my in-laws own it. And, and so they sponsored a meal and while they were cooking the meal, I kind of walked around to the side where all the students are gathering. You know, we all give each other high fives and stuff. But a little bit after that, like something just happens to people. You know, they, they, people are tearing up and, you know, they, they get emotional, but in, in, in those really positive ways and something profound happens to them. And I was asking, I, was, I, I asked our grad students who were with us, I said, how, how many profound moments can you actually remember in your life? Probably not that many. And that's probably pretty normal. Uh, and hopefully this is one of those because I, I had a I had a profound experience in a class that was similar to this years and years ago that basically steered me away from going on to like law school or another professional school and, and thinking I'm going to do this photography thing because it was it, it spoke to me in ways. But it spoke to me because of the experience I had around a particular class uh, held by a particular person. And so that's all I've want to do. That's all I ever want to do, especially with these field courses, is just create moments where people go, shit, I did that. Yeah. And you have, I mean, Maddie's an example and I'm sure other Anna Claire, um, who's been, I mean, that girl's on a tear with her stuff and that's gotta be rewarding. I mean, you're providing people with an opportunity and outlet, um, to pursue, a lifestyle and a career that many people would love to have. Um, mm. It's very fulfilling. It's very rewarding. Uh, it's challenging, but you know, uh, there's payoffs and, and yeah, you, you've been able to see a direct impact from, from your efforts, uh, which has got to be extra rewarding as well. Well, I think it's also super special that people like you, you know, who have a handle on, on this particular audience and have, have that outlet also see, see it as valuable. And, and, and the students see you come in, they see Brandon come in and they're like, okay, this, this is more than just a class. This is something that other people can get behind. They see the, the value in this. And yeah. so hopefully it ha helps them invest in it that much more. Yeah, I see this as much more than a class. Is it is it is a class? They're going to get a credit for it. I I've been um, I'm, I've graduated the class three times. That's uh, right. I got my yeah. diploma uh, this time, I believe. So, you know, I mean, it is a class, but it, it's it's also a lot more than that. You you, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to toot your horn too much because you you might not take a comp you might take compliments as well as I do. But yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you you're busy. You and Justin are very busy. And y'all aren't making bukus of money to, you know, this is kind of like a, a passion project. Let's be honest for you guys. You know, I mean, this, this is kind of outside the scope of, of kind of, you know, a lot of stuff. And that's why maybe you don't see a lot of professors do it, but y'all were able to convince a university 
to provide you some funding and permission to take students out, do these kinds of things, and give them a course credit. I mean, y'all should get the Nobel Peace Prize as far as yeah. I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it, it is, you know, it's, again, it's just based on these, I, I hate using big words, I mean, but transformative experiences that, like, I, I think, and especially, I think, after, after pandemic, more universities, more institutions of higher education need to be focusing on, you know, not, they don't necessarily have to focus on like these very challenging physically and emotionally hard experiences, but they definitely need to be reorienting their curriculum based on the experiences that they do provide. That's not your traditional four walled classroom experience uh, anymore. And I've, I've said that to our administration. I'll say it to anybody out there. I mean, it's, these things are now, I think, paramount compared to a, a traditional education. Well, uh, if you need any help, just tell them to call me and I'll uh, add my, uh, add my, I'll echo what you're saying. Um, I got to go pick up my kiddo, um, but let's wrap it up with some final thoughts on, the, on this class. Um, I will say that again, um, when I knew what you were, the topic of this, um, I felt really compelled to be there you know, adventure media is always special to me, but but this one I felt like was going to hit closer to home. I wish I could have been there the the whole time, but I'm really I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity to be there. You know, like I don't I don't take it for granted that I've I've gotten to go. This is my third time. I don't take that for granted. Um, th- these are transformative experiences for me. You know, and it's good reminders for me. To remember, hey man, we all start somewhere, and and that used to be me just a few years ago, and you know, like it's it's a good reminder, and it's also it feels good to to be there for for other people um, in any capacity, um, and I'm grateful that you know whatever life experiences I have could be helpful in any way to those students, and uh, I really want to say that um, I appreciate you know, all the students, um, for, for accepting me into the class and, and, and for being so open with, with themselves. And, and I mean, I didn't set any expectations on, on what we would get out of the students, but I wanted to provide an opportunity for them to share whatever they felt like they needed to or wanted to. And I feel very grateful for that experience. I'll say, you know, and I commend, uh, I commend the students for being courageous enough to, to talk about some difficult things and appreciate, uh, those stories. And I believe that stories like that will benefit many other people. And, um, I'm grateful for that for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, you know, the, it's their, it, it was their experience and, and, and it, it, it took all of them to get every one of them through that experience and, and including that, that conversation. And um, yeah, I mean, just, uh, I, I'm glad that you're commending them because I would do this exact same thing. You know, we we're, we're proud of what they did, uh, what they accomplished uh, in all, all aspects, not just the fact that they finished the ride, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, they finished the ride and they're going to be, they're not done. Now they got to produce all their stuff. And so the fun part is, is that uh, once they're done producing, uh, you know, their, their documentaries and their vlogs that they're doing, um, we'll get an opportunity to hopefully they'll let us share it um, through our channels here. So people can uh, follow up and actually see their own experiences and have them talk about, you know, what they were going through. For sure. For sure. Yeah. There's going to be several pieces of media we'll, we'll be able to link out. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> thanks, brother. Hey, man. Another thank you. epic trip, trip in the books. Yeah. And uh, yeah. 
Well, ne- ne- next time you'll come out and, and we'll have a, I'll have another route for us. You and I can, can just go hang out on. All right. Sounds good. I also, I told my girls about uh, getting together with your family and uh, my 12 year old was real excited. You mean finally another girl that's close to my age, you know, because like, uh, it's always hard to find like, you know, people, you know, other families that adventure and age appropriate children and all this stuff. So, um, right. Yeah. Let's do some more stuff. Yeah, let's do it. All right, buddy. Have a great day, man. All right. You too, man. All right. Bye-bye. I'll see you. All right, everybody. Thank you again for tuning into today's episode. And a big shout out goes to Jared, Justin, Texas Tech University for allowing those guys to put on a, a really impactful and an important class there at their university. And uh, like I said at the end of the show, huge shout out to all the students. You know, I wanted to just share one other thing that I didn't get around to discussing uh, during the fireside, (laughs) I keep saying fireside chat, but the non-fire fireside chat. You know, I'd planned to like circle back around and kind of talk about how I personally have um, have been able to manage some of my anxiety and uh, and stress and stuff. And, you know, it just didn't feel appropriate. uh, Exactly. I mean, you know, once the conversation got going, it was way, way more important that I give them an opportunity to to share, um, you know, whatever's on their hearts and their minds. So I just wanted to, to say that, that for myself, probably one of the biggest keys that I found was medication. I take an SSRI. Um, I don't even remember exactly what brand name it is, but I don't think it matters because, you know, my understanding is that we're all different. Our uh, biology is all different and you have to find medication that works for you. And I know that, you know, through talking to people that a lot of people struggle with managing their anxiety and their depression because the challenge of finding the right medication in the right dosage can be challenging. And I know that because I went through that journey as well. And it, it sucked. Um, I, I don't like being reliant on medication, to be honest. I don't, I don't want to rely on it. I want to think that I'm fully capable of, you know, managing my thoughts and my stress and anxiety and fears. And I would like to believe that, you know, I'm that person, but but the truth is, is that, you know, after two decades of, of dealing with it and trying to manage it on my own, um, it wasn't until I got on an SSRI that works for me that I was able to finally manage my own anxiety. And, you know, what that looks like for me is I'm very grateful. And, and it's the reason why I wanted to make sure that I mentioned it. I don't want people to think that I just go ride my bike and you know, go hug a tree and everything's fine. That certainly adds value. And I think that's an extremely important tool. And I do use that, but I also medicate and I find, I, I found an SSRI that has, as far as I can tell, no negative side effects for me personally. I don't notice it. It doesn't seem to like, can you know, I, it just, feels normal, to be honest. I feel like, you know, for the first time in a couple decades, I I had walked around just every single day feeling this pit in my stomach of, of stress. I now know it's stress, but I mean, every morning I would wake up and I would immediately be stressed. And then, you know, sometimes it would elevate to panic attacks, but there was always this underlying level of anxiety that I was experiencing every waking moment of my life. And um, again, you know, like I said, I didn't 
didn't realize that until I was in my 30s. And I went through the process of finding an SSRI that I simply, um, I still get anxious. I still, you know, have feelings. I don't feel like I'm uh, suppressed in that way, but I feel like they're just more manageable. You know, when I have anxiety now, I meditate is is a really uh, great tool that I didn't talk about as well. I've uh, used Sam Harris's uh, uh, waking up meditation app, um, and I found that really helpful. And I like the way that he teaches it. He's a neuroscientist, so I kind of trust him up there in my brain. And he really talks about how meditation can be a tool. And so, you know, nowadays I I still am prone to get panic attacks, but they're way less frequent and I'm able to kind of enjoy my life. And and that's what I said during our non-fireside fireside chat that learning to manage my anxiety has been the most liberating and profound experience of my life. Um, and so I just want to put that out there. I know from personal experience, the challenges that are involved with managing anxiety, depression, just mental health in general. We all have our own struggles. Uh, we're all different. And um, I think that hopefully, you know, through talking about it and hearing other people's stories that, you know, we can understand that we're not alone and maybe there's not, you know, what worked for this person isn't going to exactly work for me. But, you know, hopefully you can understand that we're all on a journey and all of our journeys are unique but that you're not alone and that there are options, there are resources, and we are very fortunate to live in the day and age when we do. Not only is there medicines available and therapies available, but it's also you know more socially acceptable to talk about openly, not only like my own, but for these students to share their um, experiences with mental health. And I think that's a very positive sign. And um, I just want to... Uh, wish everyone out there well if you are struggling uh, with mental health, if you are in a low place. Keep churning those pedals and and keep working on yourself. It can be a long journey, but I can vouch for the journey being worth it, you know, and that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And um, I'm, I'm very grateful for modern medicine and for the opportunity to talk about these things and uh, in the hopes that it will help other people like you. All right, everybody, that's it. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I hope that this episode uh, resonated with you if you needed it. And if you're not currently struggling with uh, any mental health issues of your own, maybe it'll give you a better understanding of how maybe some of your friends or your family members might struggle from time to time. And, and you might not ever know because you can't see mental health all the time. It isn't, it isn't always as easy to identify. And uh, grace, compassion, and understanding can go a really long way. And so can talking and being open-minded and listening. Okay, Dr. Patrick Farnsworth signing off. Thank you for being here on a special episode of the Bikes for Death podcast. If you'd like to support this show and the body of work over here at Bikes for Death, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash bikes for death. Now, get off of here and go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts 
sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever before. Was it your imagination or merely folklore? Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless. Your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself, just a few more miles. Bikes for death. Bikes for death.